Good to have you along here, three and out on this Friday afternoon. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. So much to get to here on the show. Jacob Davis, Arkansas fight will join us. Arkansas into the Elite Eight. Also, look at Arkansas spring practice. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, uh, will join us coming up. We'll look at Georgia. Kirby Smart had a uh, presser today talking about uh, spring practice uh, out there as well. And uh, Chagosian Okonkwo, uh, former Maryland tight end, getting ready for the draft. He will join us, Ben here on the program as well. So looking forward to that. But right off the bat, joining us here on the program, covers the Atlanta Braves for Battery Power there on SB Nation. Gaurav Vidak joins us. Gaurav, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. We got we got March Madness and we got uh, NBA going to the playoffs. We got baseball ramping up. It's a great time to be a sports fan, that's for sure. Oh, absolutely. And again, uh, the Braves working towards uh, the, the start of the season two weeks from today. Uh, they will be back. What do you need to see uh, from this Braves team over the next couple of weeks to kind of uh, make you feel, get a better sense uh, about where they're headed here in 2022? Well, you, you know what you're going to get from the position players. I think the lineup is, is pretty much set now, especially a month from now when, you, when you're able to add in Acuna in the DH spot. It's a very, very stout lineup. Uh, the, the next step really is making sure the Braves have the starting pitching covered. Uh, we got three three spots really kind of filled in. Uh, you got a bunch of people trying to fight for those last two spots. You don't know whether uh, they're going to go internal with the last two with Kyle Muller. I think Kyle Wright has an opportunity. Bryce Elder actually just got options, so he most likely is not going to get that shot. Uh, what, what's really important is, is figuring out those last two roles. You, you see even today, uh, Kenley Jansen made his debut. You saw with the ability, just the mere uh, idea of that uh, that bullpen is is really really set. Uh, Kenley only had gave up a hit. Will Smith gave up a hit, but both were able to work two scoreless innings total. Uh, I think the rotation uh, is the biggest question mark. Uh, outside of that, it really comes down to how do the Braves uh, improve their bench and then starting pitching. And, and I think you'll most likely see Anthopoulos. Most likely go after a couple of people here near the end uh, of spring training to try and fill those questions. Obviously, Freddie Freeman moves on to the Dodgers. I mean, uh, and uh, they go out and get Matt Olson, a big-time, big-time first baseman from the Oakland A's. Talk about him uh, replacing Freddie Free, and obviously it's not going to be the same impact, but he can, be, he can give you very, very similar production. Yeah, so the way that they'll do their work is going to be slightly different. If you're getting the Matt Olson from 2021 – uh, that's a guy who's not going to have that batting average that Freeman has, but he's going to hit for more power, especially at Truist. Uh, he, he's got the perfect he's got the perfect swing to take care of that porch in right field. Uh, so you, you can look at some in, some increased uh, slugging power out of first base. The only real offset is going to be the strikeouts and, and the walk rate. Really, if you're getting Matt Olson from 2021, that's going to be someone that gets on base just as much as Freeman. He's going to he's actually going to slug slightly higher. He's just not going to get as many hits. So really, it's two very very comparable players in terms of their overall value to the team. I, I think you're going to a lot of fans are going to be surprised about the type of production Matt Olson is going to give you, and I and I couldn't be happier with. Technically, he's option number two. I would have to imagine for Anthopolis, but. By option number two, it's really just like 1A. He's a a great dynamic first baseman. He's actually better defensively. So while the Braves are going to be missing that Freeman uh, Freeman, uh, name penciled in at number three on the 
in the lineup, you're really not going to see too much of a loss of production. If anything, you might see similar production to slightly increase. Gaurav Vidak joining us here on 3 and Out from uh, Battery Power on SB Nation covering the Braves. And Gaurav, how do you see this lineup uh, here as we get to the first part of the season? Obviously, no Ronald Acuna, uh, at least for the first little bit. I know maybe there's some optimism he could DH in, in late April, but until then... Uh, who's getting that DH spot? I would imagine Ozuna's playing in the field. What are, what are the Braves doing lineup-wise until Ronald's ready to go? It's a, it's a great question, and we and we really will try and figure that out over the next two weeks. I think the lineup that you saw today was probably most likely the opening day lineup with Rosario Olsen, Riley Ozuna, Dickerson. Uh I, you're going to see a lot of Dickerson for the first month of the season, just because if you're getting 2019 Dickerson, he's he's a very very valuable fourth outfielder that can provide some some legitimate threats uh, offensively. So you'll see a lot of Dickerson to go for the first couple of weeks. But once once Acuna is back, I think you can take today's lineup, switch out Rosario with Acuna at the top, put in a Rosario in at the fifth spot, and I think you're pretty much set. Carl, when you think about a guy like Kenley Jansen coming over from the Dodgers, I mean, obviously, you know, Will Smith had to, you know, kind of like approve of this, uh, you know, of this addition. But talk about what he brings coming out of that bullpen, man. You understand, I mean, what he's meant to the Dodgers. How how much danger does he make this Braves bullpen? It's it's become an unbelievably stacked back end. You 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 only need to require your starters to really give you five innings. Outside of that. The arms that that Anthopolis has collected shortens the game. It's it's really tremendous, and especially since you can move Will Smith up one inning. And Will Smith going out of his way to helping recruit Jansen, it really cannot be understated how unselfish that was. Now Smith slots in right around the eighth inning, and then you can bring in Jensen Jansen to 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 close out the games. Like it's a filthy bullpen. The, the bullpen might be the strongest aspect of this team. And that's a team that's probably going to be, you know, a top five offense as well. So, again, it really comes down to that starting pitching. If, if the Braves can really shore out those last two spots, that's, that's the top five offense, that's a top five, uh, top five starting, well, not starting rotation, top five bullpen, and then an above average starting rotation. That's, that's the mix for a very dynamic team and a team that should, honestly, they should push for that another division title. And, honestly, I like their chances in the playoffs right now. Yeah, Gaurav, I, I, one interesting thing I guess we won't really find out until the season goes along, uh, but how do you think the Braves handle being the hunted? I mean, obviously, if we were asking this question in the the middle 90s, I think you would have gotten a different answer. But uh, this is a team that's been climbing, climbing, climbing uh, for the last couple of years, got over against the Dodgers, finally got over uh, and won a World Series. How do you think this group handles going from the chase to the chased? I, I think they're ready for it. All of, all of these guys are not even entering the prime of their careers yet. And they've already has, had this taste of success. And by all accounts, they're all wanting more. Even the coaches are really pushing it. And you can tell that this team isn't going to get complacent. They're not going to go into the season thinking, we've won it all. What can we do next? No, a lot of, there were still a lot of doubts uh, over this World Series saying, okay, maybe the best team didn't win, but the Braves got it. You know, the Braves got hot at the right point. And I think the Braves are out there to prove that that wasn't the case. And then on top of that, you, you, you factor in Raul Acuna, who you can tell he did, not, he did not enjoy being on that bench in the playoffs. He wanted to be out there on that field. So I expect him, when he returns to the lineup, to really put in that, to add in that pressure to the guys that this is our time. We're all entering 
you're all entering our primes right now. Let's let's send a message. And I really couldn't be more excited for his return. Go off. I mean, you mentioned a guy like uh, like Ronald Cunha Jr. Obviously, wanting to be out there. How good of a team is it when you don't have a guy like Ronald Cunha? You still go out there and win the World Series. You bring back a guy like Rosario. Obviously, the health of Mike Soroka is going to be talked about until he comes back. But you got to have one of the best chemistries, if not the best in baseball, if the future face not just of of your team, but maybe even baseball is watching and the team still goes on and wins it all. It just preaches how good that clubhouse is, right? All the managers, the coaches, they all seem to be on the same page. Everyone's buying into the program. You don't simply lose your star player and then go out, bring in three other players, have them fit perfectly into the clubhouse and the culture, and then go on and win a World Series. That just doesn't happen too often. So if anything, that World Series win, yeah, it's, it's, it's 100% on the players. They're the ones that perform. But it really doesn't – what people need to realize is the impact that the culture that they have established inside that clubhouse, just how strong it is. You're able to bring in people at the last second and have them really fit in. It's, it's tremendous. And you can tell everybody on the team has fun playing with one another. They all buy into the program that, that Brian Snicker seems to have put it in front of everybody. And then on top of that, you see how they, they react with their coaches. Like, this is a team – really in every sense of the word, because they really seem to be on the same page with just about everything. Gura Vidak joining us here on 3 and Out. Uh, Gura, finally, as you see this team getting ready in two weeks to open, how do you see some of these final battles coming out? Obviously, it seems like the bullpen pretty well set. The, road, uh, the starting lineup looks pretty well set. Who wins some of these final battles in the rotation that we actually see on the squad come opening day? You know, I think the only thing that you can really – the only thing I can – concretely say is I, I truly do believe Kyle Wright is most likely the option for that, that fourth starting pitching uh, slot. Outside of that, I think it's a toss-up. I think Kyle Moeller most likely has the inside track, but Anthopolis has the record of bringing, you know, bringing in those vets in the last week of spring training. I think pretty much every other piece is, 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 is well set, and, and I think they're ready to go into the season, uh, but expect some kind of if not rumors, or if not a transaction, expect some kind of rumors involving uh, the Braves and another starting pitching, just because you don't really want to go in with that much youth in your starting rotation. If there is an option available, I can, I can assume that Anthopolis is going to be looking into it that last week. Gaurav Vidak, Battery Power on SB Nation. Joining us here on 3 and Out. Uh, Gaurav, I appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks, as always, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Gaurav Vidak joining us here on 3 and Out, and uh, glad he can join us. He had to had to sh- shun Christian Gokel so he could come <laughs> on with us. Uh, you know, that's fine. Uh, but we enjoy talking with Gaurav, but two weeks from today, Ben, they, they will count for real. Kevin, I got to say this. I'm very, very, I'm very, very impressed with the players and the owners, you know, for bringing baseball back because, like you, I was like, dude, I don't like when things go, you know, you, I mean, what? I mean, they, the lockout started in December. And I was like, you know, and, and cooler heads did prevail. I do think what happened was the players kind of showed, look, man, we're not going to be pushed around, not going to be bullied. But I will say this. I am not comparing what the Braves did in the offseason to what the rest of the division did because the Braves didn't spend as much. But, I mean, come on, man. I mean, you get you a first baseman, big time. Get you a big time closer. Bring back Rosario of the big three. This team was going to be good no matter what they did. But if you're going to get rid of Freddie Freeman, which, I mean, we're going to talk about that. And listen, when open day starts, I'm not going to talk about replacing Freddie Freeman anymore <laughs> because I think I think Matt Olson is, is a really, 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 really – if you're not going to get 
pretty free. I mean, at least get the second, maybe so second, at least third best uh, first base in the baseball. But hey, Kevin, man, it's here, and I think the the perception of not having baseball was too big for those for those owners to say, look, man, we we don't need to miss this moment because I mean, USFL, XFL. Yeah. I mean, pretty soon it'll be a freaking lacrosse league. You better <laughs> jump in right now because you want to. Money is one thing, but you want to keep them eyeballs. Absolutely. And, again, we appreciate Gaurav joining us here. Two weeks from today, Braves back against Cincinnati to start the 2022 season. So much happening right now. Great time of year. It's uh, NCAA basketball tournament has been unbelievable. My bracket is completely in the trash. As in one, <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. In one fell swoop, both of my championship teams, gone. Out. And not only did Arizona lose, they lost bad. Yes. And I think BJ called it yesterday. He said, I really like this Houston team. And, yep, they took it to him. And then, of course, uh, Gonzaga going out to uh, to Arkansas in a blaze last night. That was a great ball game. But uh, give Arkansas a lot of credit. They're into the Elite Eight, and we'll talk about that along with uh, some spring Arkansas football. Jacob Davis, Arkansas fight, will join us when we come back. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on three and out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. Wild time uh, to be around uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Obviously, a lot of momentum with uh, Sam Pittman and certainly Eric Musselman last night knocking out the uh, number one overall seed uh, in Gonzaga. They are on to the Elite Eight and joining us here from Arkansas. Fight Jacob Davis joins us here on 3 and Out. Jacob, man, it has to be a, a great Friday across our Razorback country. Man, it feels good. I mean, the, the vibe around the state of Arkansas is great. And I'm sure the energy's the same, uh, especially with Eric Musselman down there in uh, in San Fran. Talk about that last night. Obviously, uh, Arkansas basketball. You go back to the you know Nolan Richardson days. Has some great tradition. Uh, speak to what uh, you know Eric Musselman's been able to do in a short amount of time there as head coach coming in Elite Eight uh, again here for Arkansas. And uh, again, the 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 game of the tournament so far, bumping out Gonzaga. Yeah, man. So it's just really crazy how this has all happened for Arkansas. I mean. This 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 program was in media, just floated into mediocrity for so long, and you thought for the last twenty five years you're thinking, man, can we just get back to the glory days? Can we just be in the tournament consistently? And we had a taste of that with Mike Anderson, but Eric Musselman has there been another college basketball coach that has done as much as he has in the past seven years? I know he has that pedigree of being a professional coach first, and now he's just kind of working his way back up. Man, he's he's done a really good job for Arkansas. He's put Arkansas's uh, respect back into, uh, uh, I guess, national respectability, you know, and, and that's what Arkansas was in the 90s under Nolan Richardson. And, and it just feels good right now to have Arkansas in a spot uh, with a Final Four opportunity on the line. It's going to be tough against Duke, but as we saw last night, Duke's beatable with a, uh, with a great defense. They had to change things around the late late last night, but – Arkansas's got a chance here. If they can, if they can reach the Final Four, man, it, it's, I mean, anything can happen once you get to this point in the season. And Coach Musselman kind of let them boys kind of flex their muscles a little bit. I mean, he said they wanted to be physical, plain and simple. When you think about a team like the Zags, I mean, just talk about Arkansas's style of play. Because, you know, and obviously when you talk about uh, being able to get up or down the floor, once they really started putting them bodies on them, I mean, Gonzaga really couldn't respond. Yeah, so Arkansas, man, that's their style of play is being physical. They have a lot of guys with dogs. I mean, the dogs in them. I mean, you have Trey Wade, a guy that transferred in from Wichita State, a guy that was 
basically our unsung hero last night. You talk about a lot about J.D. Note, a guy like Jalen Williams. I mean, Trey Wade, a guy that's averaged three points a game in his career in college, comes in and scores. He's, he's had glimpses of greatness or, or, or quality play at times this season. 15 points when you needed somebody to step up. I thought it was going to be Stanley Amude that steps up. I thought, you know, it, it would have been somebody else. But Trey Way, man, he, uh, he's got some dog in him. He stopped a bunch of that dribble penetration uh, coming down the lane, kind of taking up his uh, man, making sure he uh, cut the guys off in the baskets. Usually you have uh, a guy like Adis Tony the, guarding your best player, which I think their uh, most talented player is obviously Chet Holmgren. And he kept him uh, uh, away from the basket and, and contested every shot. And the guy was very limited in what he was able to do offensively. Uh, and Arkansas offensively, they don't have much, man. They, I mean, last night they scored uh, they scored 73 points, shot 40% from the field, and shot probably about 28% from three. That's what they've usually been doing. But they found ways to win with defense. And that's what uh, is, I mean, as we heard, and as cliche as it sounds, Defense travels. Obviously, that's what's happening for Arkansas right now. Jacob Davis, Arkansas Fight, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Jacob, obviously, everybody, when they get in the tournament, believes they can. But, I mean, now you're in the Elite Eight. Does Arkansas have what it takes to, to, to finish this thing off for three more wins? That's the, that's the thing, man. I, I, I am very – I try to stay away from being a fan as much as a journalist, you know. I, I, right now, Muslims got me believing because, I mean, honestly, we thought, oh, it, it, was it a fluke last year when Arkansas uh, went to the Elite Eight and uh, barely lost to the Baylor team? This year, they're 0-3 and, and, and SEC play losing 5-6 of six midseason, and you're thinking, what the heck is going on? Is this, was it a fluke that Arkansas got to the Elite Eight? No, it's not a fluke. Arkansas got their they got their work cut out for them against Duke. Duke Duke is a heck of a team. They have three guys that possibly could be going pro uh, in the first round and next season or this uh, this coming up draft. I mean, it, Arkansas got their work cut out for them, and and but they do. I, and like I said, I, I've got Musselman's made a believer out of me because for the last twenty years you you see so much promise and then your hopes are dashed. But now, like, it's just crazy to me. I'm almost a believer where I'm expecting it's either tournament or bust. Is it going to be, I mean, you know, it's hard enough to get to the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight. It's hard enough to get to the tournament. And I think Arkansas's got what it takes. If they can continue to play this hard-edged, hard-nosed defense, I think they have a chance to get to the Final Four and close I mean- this thing out with the championship if they can hold on with defense and continue to get as much as they can, if Musselman can squeeze as much offense as he can, get out of these guys. And, Jacob, obviously every year you're going to have some team that's going to come in feeling disrespected. I mean, if you saw before the game, I mean, the Zags, let's face it, they're, they're the media darling, right? This is going to be the year, right? The Zags going to finally get it. I don't know. Every year – and. If you are Arkansas, I mean, the play, the tone of the players was, look, number one, nobody expected us to be here coming out of the SEC. Number two is those guys were kind of fit, they felt kind of disrespected. I know that's something that a lot of teams do, but that seems to be working for Arkansas right now, especially with the coach, Coach Musselman, who said, I never thought of my wildest dreams. I'll be playing in the Sweet 16 in the Bay Area. Yeah, man. So, so Gonzaga, I mean, they deserve. They had every right to be the number one team in the country, the number one overall seed. 
they did what they had to do. They played a hard schedule during non-conference play, and it's no knock. I mean, they, they were a three-bid league uh, out of the West Coast Conference this season. So Gonzaga, they earned their right, but you have to you have to have the horses down there, and you have to you have to be physical. And just like we saw last year when they played in the national championship, yeah, they had Jalen Suggs, and yeah, they had all those talented guys last season, and and they they kind of had their head bit off of them. I mean, they uh, they were they were bruised, they were beaten against Baylor last year because Baylor obviously. They beat Arkansas, and they were a physical team then. They were a, they were a bunch of men, and so Gonzaga, you you, you uh, go and you play a, a couple of pretty good teams in Georgia State and and uh, Memphis, and and you get away uh, with a couple of victories there, and yeah, and, and nobody's giving Arkansas any credit until they finally say, oh crap, Arkansas's <laughs> been doing this to Vermont and New Mexico, and they did the same thing to those two teams as they just did to Gonzaga. Are they real? And that's what uh, I think it was Jay Williams this morning on ESPN. He said, "You got to give Arkansas credit. They they did what they had to do to win." And and yeah, Gonzaga maybe <laughs> maybe uh, they won't be the media darlings going into next year because I mean, how long is it going to take for Gonzaga to say maybe they don't have what it takes to win a national championship? It's the twenty years going, you know, right now. Does, does Gonzaga actually have what it takes to get to the national championship and, and win it? And now uh, Arkansas goes from the perceived underdog to like everybody's favorite team in America, right? Because you're playing the Dukies, a chance to end Coach K's uh, legendary career. As like, if, unless you really love Duke, everybody's an Arkansas fan. Come Saturday night, and that, do you think they'll feel that love? So there is a uh, preacher here in in Arkansas that. That I know, and he he said uh, he he lives in Arkansas, but he went to school at Duke, and uh, he has he he said he has he's having a coronary issue. Uh, we're trying to figure out who he's going to root for, and uh, he he I think he's going to end up uh, cheering for Duke, but I don't think he's going to lose either way. But yeah, Arkansas they the, they should be the meeting on it. They should be looked at as the Cinderella story in this tournament. Forget about St. Peter's, Arkansas. They're the underdog. Nobody's thinking that they're going to be able to do anything. And they keep going out. And that's what Musselman said last night was thank you for everyone who doubted us. Thank you for doubting us. Because I, because we read everything. And that's what he said. We read everything. And so that's what, I mean, I, and that's what you want to see of an underdog. And, and Arkansas, I think, you know, like I said, I think they've got a chance as an underdog to go out there and shock the world on Saturday against Duke, and, I mean, that's what we've all been wanting to watch is, uh, well, when's Coach K's last game going to be? Who's going to be the one that beats them? Because it's going to happen. From the hard court, uh, you know, back to the gridiron, I mean, uh, spring is, uh, you know, in the air when you think about, uh, you know, SEC football, Arkansas. I mean, uh, when you think about the job that, uh, you know, Sam Pippen has done since he's got there, a lot of that has to do with stability at the quarterback position. K.J. Jefferson comes back, uh, you know, I try to build on what he did in 2021. Talk about just his his style of play, even though he got to replace a big-time playmaker, Traylon Burks. Yeah, so K.J., man, he's a, he's about as good as you're going to get in the league. He's a guy that he, he, has a, he has the ability to throw the ball in an 80-yard 80 80-yard bomb downfield and also be able to run you over. 20 yards downfield and leave leave you on the field uh, with a thud. I mean, and, and you're you're talking about a guy that nobody nobody thought he was going to do anything outside of Arkansas. 
247 Sports, uh, Brad Crawford, he had uh, K.J. Jefferson ranked as the 14th best quarterback coming into the SEC last year, and then he uh, was ranked the third best quarterback after the season. So, yeah, K.J. is the one that, uh, with this offense, it starts and goes at the quarterback position. You saw it in the outback bowl, and, and you know without Trey Lumberg, it, it was going to be an issue uh, with the passing game. Arkansas comes and uh, comes into the season, and, and they're looking for a pass catcher. You've got uh, you you went to the, uh, in, the NCAA transfer portal, and you got Jaden Hazelwood. You went out there, and you got three uh, fantastic freshmen, and Isaiah Santania, who was the top uh, top player in the state of Arkansas. Samuel Bakke, who was right out of, right out of y'all's uh, side of the country, out of Georgia, and then you uh, then you got I, I'm slipping right now. I forgot the other guy, other guy's name, but they were three four star receivers. Uh, I was uh, Quincy McAdoo, who was a former Florida State commit that was out of the state of Arkansas, and he uh, he signed too. Those three have blazing speed. They're pass catchers. Arkansas is gonna they're gonna have to find uh, uh, pass catchers by committee. They're not gonna be able to depend on. Uh, 80% of the passing uh, game going through Traylon Burke. But then you also have your uh, running game, too. And uh, I don't know if you all want to get into that, but Arkansas has got a pretty good running game there, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and Jacob, just uh, while we have a few minutes here, how far along has Sam Pittman brought this program? Because I know he took over the COVID year, and right out of the gate it was like, oh, you get Georgia, and he kind of had to hit the ground running in an all-SEC schedule. But in just two seasons now into this offseason, how far has he brought that Arkansas program, which I don't think anybody's going to question, is playing in the toughest uh, division in college football. Oh, it definitely they definitely are, man. I mean, Sam Pittman has brought uh, Arkansas from the depths of Loserville, the depths of basement. I love what the SEC shorts guys said. I mean, you look around and you have like UConn, you have all the lowlies of lows in the uh, in the country of uh, football programs and. And they're looking for Arkansas, and they keep looking for Arkansas, and they're like, "Where are they at? Where are they at?" They're no longer there in the basement. They went nine and four last season, and they they are going on the momentum, and and they're currently ranked in the third in the nation in recruiting. So obviously, Sam Pittman is selling a vision here to say, "Hey, Arkansas's not done yet. They're not a they're not a pushover. They're not the uh, they're not the rug at the front door." that you're going to wipe your feet on anymore. Arkansas for real, and we can get it done here. And, and he's got the pieces coming back with the experience. He's got two great coordinators in uh, Kendall Browse and Barry Odom. He's got the chance here to be very successful and make noise as, as possibly being the second-best team in the SEC West. And, Jacob, man, one, one thing that's not talked about enough when you talk about Arkansas, I know it's about K.J. Jefferson. I know it's about that run game. I know it's about, you know, Traylon Burks, even though he's moved on. That secondary was very, very stingy. What, 13 interceptions, 16 touchdown passes. Jalen Catalone, he might be the best safety in the country, regardless of, uh, you know, of division. Man, just talk about that secondary and how it looked. They're going to be very, very stingy, especially in the SEC West. It makes it even more impressive. Yeah, so they brought in a Latavius Brini, who was a Georgia guy. Uh, he started 11 games at a 13 last season uh, for the for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, they're losing Monterrey Brown. That's going to be a hit. But you've got a wonderful, uh, wonderful bit of guys there in the uh, secondary. You got Miles Slusher, like Catalina, like you said. You're going to have Brini back there, really taking command. You lose uh, two guys out of the secondary from last year in Brooks and Boucher that both transferred to LSU after the season. So 
Yeah, if you can see the schematically, Arkansas was doing a rush three drop eight like they like they had been the last two years. I think they're going to run more of a traditional four three scheme, kind of, kind of you know try to take the focus off the defensive backs that way they don't have to defend their butts off all uh, all year long. But yeah, the Barry Odom is a defensive minded guy. He was a D, uh, I think he was a I think he's a defensive backs coach or an assistant to the defensive backs coach while being the defensive coordinator there. So that's his specialty. He's uh, he's looking over them, and uh, they they hired a. Uh, Hired a guy from Marshall as the uh, defensive backs coach this uh, this past off season, and he's he looks to have he's he's offering a lot of guys, a lot of four star talent, a lot of guys that we didn't think would be on our radar too. And and what he's going to take over, he's got a talented secondary. And I don't know if they'll match the thirteen interceptions that they had this past season, but guys, that's a really good number. But uh, their I think their coverage skills will be a lot better. They may not intercept as many passes. But I do think coverage will coverage will be a lot better just because there's more talent than what they had. Jacob Davis, Arkansas Fight, our guest here on the Three and Out. Jacob, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, man, thanks. Appreciate it. In Arkansas in the final of the Elite Eight against Duke coming up on uh, Saturday, and I think there will be a lot of Razorback fans uh, out there pulling for <laughs> Arkansas to end the run. For for Duke, my, I mean, my bracket is toast at this point. I I, I want <laughs> I want total chaos at this point. At the end of the day, we got more to come here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here. Falcons have a new quarterback officially. Marcus Mariota signs that contract, and Ben, I've seen a a new wave. Much like you know, you get in the stages of grief, people upset. Matt Ryan's leaving. It's like oh, got Marcus Mariota. It's and, and we said it on the show. Like, look, Marcus Mariota is not being brought in because he's the face of the franchise. But okay. I, I, people are saying. Give him a chance. What can he do? This is a former number two overall pick in a draft. So I ask you, Ben, Marcus Mariota, what do you think he has left, and can he actually win games? And when I say win games, I don't mean like, hey, the Falcons are going to go two and fifteen. Like, can he win win games? Like, get close to five hundred win games with the Atlanta Falcons? Yes, and the reason and the reason why I say it is he's had success. Uh, in the National Football League, has gone up to has beaten Kansas City in the playoffs at you know at Kansas City. The thing about a guy like Marcus Mariota is you know he's I, I think a lot of times too him and Jameis Winston number one number two overall picking that draft. Um, I think sometimes when you don't live up to that number two overall bill, and people think what happened to this guy? Well, look, let's face it, going from a starter to to a to a, to a backup player is humbling. You got to learn you got to learn how to watch the game. Got to learn how to be a good teammate. But it's something about Getting that call, saying, "Hey, hey, man, you want to come to Atlanta?" Yeah. So I think that I think that his, you know, he's, he's gonna have like a renewed energy about him. He's gonna they're gonna have to give him some help. I mean, I think he's gonna love. I mean, Kyle that goes Pitt. to that question. Yeah, yeah, but 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 I do think he got some left to take, Kevin. Because let, let, let's just call it what it is. Are they? Or is he the? Is he the guy for the future for Atlanta? No, but he he understand two things. One, I got to keep Atlanta afloat. I got to look good doing it because I'm I'm really interviewing for my next opportunity. To stay in the National Football League. But, yeah, I do think he still got something left for the tank. You cannot uh, put a value on dual threats. And he's a dual threat. He has wheels and he can throw it. Now, because he's really 
because his style of play is a little bit different, do you limit him running the football? But, yeah, I, I do think he got something left in the tank, and I think sometimes a change of scenery is good. I've been the guy that went from a starter to a backup player, and the thing is, you see the game, it's like being a driver and a passenger. When you drive in a car, I got to be, I got to see everything. When you're a passenger, you know, you fight and sleep over there. I think with a guy like Marcus Mariota, because, number one, you can't, hasn't been hit, fresh legs, New division, That's key. new region. Listen, listen, listen. In the dome, so you're gonna get eight or nine games there. I, I think. I, now, do I expect him to be, you know, uh, former, you know, Oregon Duck? No, I expect him to show maturity. Uh, kind of. He's there for two reasons. One, to keep the team afloat. But the jury's still out on Arthur Smith. A lot of those players, they don't, they don't know if he's good or not. If yo, if yo, if the best player or the face of your franchise right now is saying, "Hey man, buy into what the guy's doing," because that's the one thing you know as a veteran, they bring you in for more than just wins and losses. They bring you for the morale of the team. I mean, listen, Kung Fu Panda, right? For, for Atlanta, he wasn't going to be a key contributor, but we, I mean, guys getting home runs with a freaking panda hat—that stuff <laughs> matters, man. That stuff matters because you know, Kevin, 162 games, it can get very mundane. You talk about a team that hasn't had success in a while since the Super Bowl. Bringing a guy like Marcus Mariota, I think I think he still got some left to take. And the guy that he that got drafted number one overall is in the same division. And you got Tom Terrific. Yeah. I think he got something to prove. Yeah, obviously football a little different. Not as many games, but you're beating yeah. on each other in practice. And Absolutely, the, you get tired of looking at each other. But I, I mean, obviously, I, I think yeah, I can take a step back and say, hey, what is Marcus Mariota? What does he need to be successful? I think obviously, I, I don't know who you would bring in that would be mm-hmm. successful with this Falcons team as currently constituted. Uh, because obviously you need more receiver help. Yeah. You could use some offensive line help. Uh, and that remains to be seen. Obviously, we'll see what the Falcons do in the draft. And this this team could look totally different uh, based on what they do in the draft. And obviously, if they make a move, you know, uh, you know, post-draft. But if you're Marcus Mariota and you're coming in looking at this thing blind and say, all right, this is what we have presently. What are you telling to Arthur Smith? What are you telling to those guys and say, look, Terry Fontenot, Obviously, you know this, but I'm telling you from a quarterbacking standpoint, we need this. Like, get me a slot receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't need a number one right now, but yeah. if what we got, I need is are you telling like what does Marcus Mariota Mariota need to be successful right now? And I don't. And again, successful doesn't mean well, Kevin. They're not going 15 and two. No, I'm not saying that. Success to me would not be picking first next year. Mm-hmm. Right? Success would be try to get the ninth pick and not the eighth pick. Uh, in the in the draft uh, next year uh, to show that you can still win despite losing Matt Ryan, you you can still do some of these things. What what do you think Mariota needs for it not to just be a total wash here? He need he needs a guy like a Jarvis Landry, a guy that's been very very productive everywhere he's been. You know he's a slot receiver because this is the thing you want to be able to take your your best asset right now is Kyle Pitts. But if he's going if he's your best guy, they're gonna take him away. Jarvis Landry pulls. At least you know some some of that you know some of that secondary away from him, and you got to get you a guy in the draft. Give me a young receiver in the draft that a guy like Jarvis Landry or Cordell Patterson can groom. A guy that's going to be here for the not going to be a first rounder. Give me give me a second round receiver that I can put on the outside that's NFL ready because because of the Justin Jeffersons on the Jamar Chase of the world, they want guys walking out of college, walking into these NFL locker rooms ready to go. You give him a slot receiver, a proven slot receiver. You give him a guy you know a guy coming out of college that can be your number one or at least. Groom and groom to be the number one, and then and maybe add him a running back. You know, maybe maybe like an old lineman. I think he'll be fine because the one thing about Marcus Mariota is he's athletic. He can throw the football. Um, and I think what happens sometimes, Kevin, too, is I think Marcus Mariota is saying, "Look, there's something about a team believing in you. Like y'all believe in me. Yeah, like you the guy. Me, yeah. 
Not not AJ McCarron. Not you know. Not not uh not not Felipe Franks. You and I think what that'll do for him is you know he'll get to go and settle in because like you said, Kevin. I mean they can't say this out loud, but hey, Marcus man, just give us something because Tom is over there. They re-signed Leonard Fournette and added Chris Godwin. And Gronk is gonna. I don't think Gronk I, go to training camp. But I think Gronk goes in there back there with uh you know uh with OJ Howard. You know uh, moving on. They're the team to beat in the division. Carolina may have the best assortment of, of players in the division. I mean, New Orleans got Jameis Winston. You know what they got with Alvin Kamara. I think if he can be halfway competitive, I think that's a win-win. But give him a slot receiver like Jarvis Landry or somebody of that caliber. Give him a guy in the draft that you can groom. Give him another running back not named Mike Davis. I, Because I, Mike Davis is going to be the starter. You give him a young guy. I think uh, give me a veteran and a young guy. So give me a veteran at the slot. Give me a young guy at, at, on the outside. Give me a veteran at running back to – Learn behind Mike Davis, maybe an old lineman that can that can that can that, that can kind of help keep him afloat, keep him keep him upright. I think uh, it's gonna be ugly no matter what. We know that Kevin because we ain't even got to the defense. But I think Marcus Mariota, man, because you ain't seen him in a while, I think he got some resurgence in him. We've got more to come here on three and out. Take three right around the corner. We'll look at the NFC South coming up in hour number two and how much things change and, and how much things change from just a couple of weeks ago. How much they could change, obviously, once you get. Uh, to the draft situation and to the post-draft situation. We've got more to come here. It's 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Man, my bracket is awful. I, I, didn't even, I couldn't even stand to look at it. I'm, I'm kind of glad BJ's not here today because I'd probably never hear the end of it if he's now ahead of me uh, in the standings. But I had both teams. I had Arizona and Gonzaga playing in the finals. Oops. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nope, not gonna, ha- not gonna happen. Uh, it, uh, it, it didn't, it didn't go too well. Uh, needless to say, so I'm not even gonna bother looking at my bracket the rest of the way because, well, it'll, it'll bring nothing but pain at uh, at this point. Listen, at the end of the day, you listen. You look at the wrong tournament. You're supposed to be That's looking true. at Division Two. Them, them, the real Jags reside in Augusta. They are playing. <laughs> For the championship, no, no, it used to be Augusta State, now it's Augusta. Was Augusta State when we moved up there? That's how we ended up there. My mom was going to Augusta State, now it's Augusta University. I mean, getting a chance to play them, them Jags get a chance to, to bring home that Division II championship. I will be rooting for them. But yes, if you have a bracket, if you still have a bracket that's even worth anything, you, I mean, you got to be the the biggest nerd stat nerd statter there is because Kevin, nothing is the hardest thing to pick is your bracket. Like you're not gonna get it right. Because you got the St. Pete, Peters of the world. You got freaking the Zags of the world. Arkansas is still in it. Private. Come on, man. I mean, but that's why we love it. That's why Warren Buffett says, look, Warren Buffett, you're going to know because nobody's going to get a perfect yeah. bracket. A these, billion these, dollars. The safest billion he's ever put out there. I mean, listen, we <laughs> I mean, this, I mean you're like, oh, we're going to get a billion dollars. No, you're not going to. Because we overthink it. And the right? thing is, like, you're not even sweating it. Like, Fine, you got a perfect bracket through the first two days. You still got five more. Of course, you still got five I more. Mean, I mean, I, like, I like that ESPN does that after the first after the first open round. Yeah, only you know only forty percent of the brackets are still. No, I think after, it was less than that after the first day. Because the of first, John, because the, of John Calipari. Yeah, no, the first day, not even the whole first round was it. The first day, only three percent had a perfect bracket still, and so so you whittled it down really quickly at the end of the day. But yeah, Augusta now Augusta University. Yes. Again. Uh, they're playing for the D2 National Championship tomorrow. I know you'd want to throw that out there. And, you know, right before the Masters in a couple of weeks. So of course. You can bring, bring of home course. a championship, 
have the green jackets, you know, all kind of wild I mean, if, stuff. If Augusta does win it, I mean, do you get an invite to Augusta National? That would be a big hell no. You're not coming <laughs> up in there still, but. Do you win a national championship in golf? No. It was <laughs> no. basketball. Exactly. I mean, but I will say the shout out to the Jags of Augusta University. I mean, I know that's a that's a school. I mean, when you listen, when you sandwich in between, like, I mean, it's kind of weird. You're not really near making, you're not really near anything, yeah. but you're over there on the coast of South Carolina. So shout out to the central. The coast? Savannah. I don't know if it's the coast. But I'm sorry, the border the of border. South Carolina, not the coast. <laughs> the border of South Carolina. I did fail geography some as that, you can see. Some of that ocean front Augusta <laughs> property. No, ain't no ocean front. More like swamp water <laughs> or river water over there. We'll come back. Hour two, Connor Riley is going to get the latest from Georgia spring practice in hour two here on the three and out. Good to have you back here. Hour two on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop. Glad you were with us. We'll look at the NFC South, how things have changed real quickly in just a matter of a, a week or two. Also, the Jags sit there at number one. A lot of smoke that maybe it's not Agent Aiden Hutchinson at number one. We'll see what Ben has to say uh, about that. And Connor Riley going to join us the back half of this hour, and we'll uh, talk Georgia spring practice. Kirby Smart addressing the media. They give us the latest there on spring practice, where some of the battles sitting and. What can we expect from this Georgia team throughout the rest of the spring? So a lot to get to this hour, but first, let's take three on three and out. All right, Ben, take one. You think non-Duke fans, or at least people that don't root for Duke in general, are pulling for Coach K and the storybook ending? Hell no. And, and, <laughs> and, 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 that's, and that's why I love us. Let, let, me, let me just say this. All right, like, Coach K has meant, Coach K has meant about as much to college as college uh, basketball, it's like a it's like a Bobby Bowden is meant to college football. Because the thing is, Kevin, that's all you know. When you, when you think Duke, when people say, what do you think? I think Coach K because he's coached so many great players. But I'm ready for it to end because no matter what, Coach K has done this thing to where you just expect Duke to win because they got Coach K. I mean, they got a freaking, what, the arena, what, is named after him? Yeah, he's, he's still living. After, yeah. Like most people get this at, after they're done playing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, yeah. I think I think too, and, and Kevin. But he's done what you're supposed to do. When you have the evil empire known as Duke basketball, they have they have developed this. What is a real brand? Love hate. That's a real brand. Yankees love them, can't stand them. Not. Uh, yeah. I'm not that in between. Coach K. I'm not gonna say I'm gonna miss you because I'm because I'm sick of having to deal with you. So yes, you're not rooting for, and that's what let you know, Kevin. Real fans root against teams like Duke. If you're not a Duke fan, listen, Duke fans live here. Obviously, they live in North Carolina and they live in Athens. That's it. <laughs> Outside of that, they're not rooting for them. So but, I would say, I, no, they're not rooting for them at all. Yeah, I do think that is like the, the the one crazy thing is like you do see like the national narrative of like, oh, man, Coach K. I think there's a, a – across college basketball, though, there is a respect for Coach K. You respect Coach K. You respect what he has done as Duke. I don't even know who the coach was before nope. Coach K at Duke, but I do not want them to win. I can say that. I, I can say Kevin, that. You Kevin, I, I, Kevin, because you ain't going to be able to, if you make it to the Final Four, you're not going to be able to deal with it. I mean, think about this. You know, just like I know, as soon as LeBron won his first championship. Who picked Suey? That's see, 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 see how those commercials came out as soon as they won his first championship? You know, Kevin, they they, they got the tribute waiting. We're going to get the tribute <laughs> anyway. I'd rather get the tribute because he's gone, not this. But those of you who don't know, who don't buy Coach K, let's take it back. Hey, guys. No, no, no. no don't want to deal with it. Come on, man. Let's, let's get. Let's and again, get, let's get I'm not. Do, I'm, I don't say that to diminish what he's done. I'm just saying Duke has got the love hate relationship in college basketball. With 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 that, it's like, hey, I can respect what he's done. I also can't stand it. 
Yeah. You know, and 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 also uh, don't don't want to sit back and say, yeah, I'm pulling for them to win. I, I said this yesterday on the show. Yeah, Derek Jeter, great ball player, the victory tour. Did I want him to win no. a championship no. on the way out for for the victory? No. no. I don't want the Yankees to win another one. They've got plenty. Like, like, instead, like, so. like, like you said, I can listen. I can admire the person and not and can't stand them at the same. I can do. Oh yeah, I admire Coach K. Can't stand them because it's almost like you you would think that Coach K has won like twelve championships. He now he's won a lot, but it's <laughs> yeah. almost like every year you got. And then he, but look, but look at what the age of social media does, Kevin. People used to announce like, this is gonna be my last year. They would just say it like after the last win, this is gonna be my last. Now it's. Hey man, let's let, let, let's do the Kobe. Yeah, let's Try get to, the victory yeah, tour. Yeah. Go, oh, this is gonna be my last year. Here it comes. Oh, did you hear breaking news? Come on. Now everywhere you go, you get the tribute, <laughs> you get the gifts. Oh yeah, yeah. You all uh, get all uh, that other, stuff. Other coaches got to really talk to you at the end of the game, man. Listen, man. Um, I would love to say I love going up against you for the last <laughs> two years. No, get the hell out of here. I'm, I'm tired of you. Sorry to see you go, Bob. You're, you're good. <laughs> we we sit there like we can't, Coach Casey. Yeah. Hey, Coach, man. Hey, congratulations. We might have a, might have a chance now. <laughs> Uh, moving along. Take two. What does it say to you, Ben, about the parody in college basketball that if Kansas lose to, loses tonight, we will have zero number one seeds in the Elite Eight? All the number ones could be out uh, in the Sweet 16 round if Kansas can't get it done tonight against Providence, who is a, a number four seed. It showed you that it showed you that college basketball is very, very even. I know we get caught up in the McDonald's All-Americas, the one and does. Who's going to be the number one overall pick? But, Kevin... It's something about having a a, a win-or-go-home tournament. Like, what you've done thus far really doesn't matter. And I I don't really want that number one seed. Guys, forgive me. We're number two. No, no, you you don't. The number one makes it so that you almost expected to make it to the Elite Eight, Final Four, and when you don't, I get it. Now, a lot of the number ones, too, is half what you did and half what you've done. Let's just call it what it is. If you are blue blood, you know, you're a Villanova or, you know, or Kansas and things of that nature, you're going to get a, ch- a shot to be number ones. But, Kevin, you know just like I know. Arkansas just proved you last night. Look, if if your style of basketball is not conducive to your opponent, you're gonna lose. But I will say this: it is something. It is something to say out of the round of, and, it, and I do believe it can, out of the round of 64, not 68. You know, if you are number one, that is prestigious. But the target is already on your back because when you lose, it's, oh my God, they lost to a no, they lost to a team in the tournament. Like I've never like it's like once they do seedings, just throw them away. All right, once we know who's gonna play who, doesn't really matter if you one or two or three, because when you are number one and you lose, it's like who did you lose to? It doesn't matter. They ain't winning that. They ain't winning that national championship. So yes, the parity is there, Kevin. I think that's kind of what that's what they will hope college football will come. But uh, uh, you're gonna have to change the way you recruit. I think that Kentucky showed that having the best assortment of talent doesn't mean you're gonna win it. But being number one don't mean you're going to win it. So, yeah, shout out to the NCAA tournament, man, living up to the bill a year in and year out. I agree. I, I think there's great parity in college. And again, we talked about this earlier. I, I think when you had, what, eight of the top ten teams all losing the same weekend earlier this year, you're thinking, mm-hmm. man, mm-hmm. there's a lot of vulnerable uh, teams out there in college basketball, and I think we're seeing it uh, in, in the tournament in the postseason. Also, can, can we stop with the Gonzaga hate today? Like, every show – Prior to ours, that's, that's, like, that's, that's what they wait. No, they no, saying, but like, but yeah, but it's like Gonzaga. Oh, can we stop? Soft. They're, they're, <laughs> when are they ever going to get it done? Right? I mean, it's, it's like, are we are we serious about this? They don't play in a real conference to prepare them for the thing. I, I'm sorry, Mark Few is one of the best basketball he coaches is. in college basketball. Something about that just rubbed me the wrong way. Did they get beat by Arkansas in the Sweet 16? Yes, they did. Were they the number one seed in the tournament? Yes, they were. But you know what? They got beat. It happens. There's another guy I think is pretty good basketball coach, Jim Beheim. Anybody heard of him? 
Jim Beheim has been coaching at Syracuse as an assistant or a head coach since 1969. Wow. How many championships he had? One. One, when Carmelo showed one, up. One, so one, like, one and done, Melo. So, and again, I'm not, I only use that to illustrate the points like, you know, Mark Few's been there so many times and he can't get it done. There's a lot of people that have been there a lot of times that haven't been able to get it done. I, it doesn't mean they're a bad coach. Is Mark Few, uh, is their conference soft? I don't necessarily think so. St. Mary's uh, got a big upset win in the tournament. They've been a top 25 program. Mm -hmm. Gonzaga always seemingly plays Duke or Michigan State or Kentucky Zags. early in the season. They try to play some of those uh, tougher non-conference games. I, I just I, I thought a little bit of it was unwarranted. Did they get beat by a more physical team? Sure. Does that mean the whole program's a bust and a fraud? No. no. I, I, it's, it's ridiculous. So, sorry, that was an aside from take three. I, <laughs> I, I said to get up on my soapbox for a minute, but I, I heard that all day like, oh, Gonzaga frauds, they're soft. I'm like, I mean, if that's what we're going by, I mean, there's a lot of teams. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's Jim Beheim like, yeah. won in 2003. Yeah. I'm not a, a math expert, but that's a long ways from 1976 when he started head coaching. I, I mean, sometimes it takes a minute to break through. Yes. That, that's, that's with a lot of programs. Make, so, make, listen, making a tournament and, like, you know, Elite Eight or Final Four appearances is a new barometer. Winning it all, I mean, a lot has to go in your favor. It's, again, I'm not saying that it was disappointing that Gonzaga lost. I had him winning the, my bracket, for crying out loud. But I, something about that rubbed me wrong. Today, I just want to throw that in there in the middle of take three. Uh, take three, Ben. Brave season begins two weeks from today. Which Brave or what Brave are you most looking forward to seeing play in 2022? Matt Olson. I mean, I think I think sometimes, right, you know, Kevin, because this is like the theme every year. The theme with the Braves every year going into the season is who's going to be the open day starter. We know who that's going to be, Max Freed, right? Um, you know, how are they going to look? With the lineup is going to be loaded. Um, obviously, storyline is going to be when does Ronald Acuna Jr. come back? When does Mike Soroka come back? And obviously, with the DH, uh, that that's definitely benefits a team like the Braves. We talk about, um, uh, you know, uh, Ronald Acuna because he don't have to be out there uh, in the field. But it's Matt Olson. I think, um, you know, when you when you are replacing the man, which he is, people are gonna be people are gonna be. It's kind of like with the Zags. People are gonna be looking for every reason to like to criticize him. No, I want to. I, I I already know he's a Golden Glove, you know, caliber. Uh, first baseman, but I'm 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 looking to see him at the I'm looking to see those plate appearances. But if I had a one B, which I do the one Bs, Austin Riley. I mean, has anybody answered the bell more than him? I mean, he gets called up. It's going to be an everyday first baseman. I mean, Kevin, you kept saying, "Are oh, they going to put him in outfield?" Nope, going to put him in third base. Let him leave him there. He was a part of the greatest infield for in Braves history last year. Can he continue with that? Because once again, these guys are very, 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 very young. I know we put a lot of 22, 23 years old. But, you know, Matt Olsen won, Austin Riley won B. I think both of those guys are going to go out there and hopefully light it up. I'm looking for, I mean, since you said Matt Olsen, I'm, I'm looking forward to, well, Ronald Acuna would be the easy answer, but I'm looking forward to Austin Riley because he's a guy that had an MVP-type season last year, and people were saying, can that be duplicated? I heard Graves uh, playing today talking with Kevin Seitzer. What does Riley need to do? Well, he I don't know if he can. I, I and I know you don't want to try to heap too much praise on guys, but Kevin Seitzer, Braves hitting coach, go, I don't know if he can do any better than what he did last year. And again, that's I, I think that was meant as a compliment, but this is a guy that you're looking at locking down third base for the next 7, 8, 9, 10 years. You would like to see what you saw in the last half of the season versus maybe what you saw in the first half of the season from Austin Riley and say, yes, this is a budding superstar in the making uh, that is going to be around for a long time, I'm interested in watching Austin Riley. I, again, I remember I got a chance to watch him play some when he was at Double A Mississippi, and you could see some of the talent over there. And people came up and said, 
oh, man, this I don't know if this guy can play third base. Like, I've watched him play third base. Uh, he's pretty good at it. Like, give him a chance. I don't think he's, uh, hey, move him to first type stuff. And last year, I think you saw that defense start to shine towards the end of the year. I think he's going to have a good year, but I'm interested to see how that, that progression continues because he kind of came on late and everybody said, whoa, Austin Riley MVP type scenario here. You start getting that thrown around your name, Ben. There's some there's some stuff to live up to. Again, it's one thing to say, oh, Ben, Ben Troop had a good year. MVP type year, Ben Troop, is a whole other thing, right? Because people are going, was that a flash? Yeah. Is that something that can be repeatable? Yeah. Is that where you are as a player? No, I, I'm just interested to watch. I think he can. In the last couple of days of spring training, he's been uh, you know, murdering the ball. So uh, I, I'm excited to watch him. I think he's going to be really good. But in the back of my mind, there still is that, hey, can he continue to do what he did last year? Because if he does, man, the sky is the limit. I think he can, Kevin. I think, too, sometimes, I mean, your biggest, your biggest competition, your biggest barometer is supposed to be you. And I think to think about a guy like Austin Riley, so much, so much was put on him when he got called up. And he now when he fir- now when he first got called up, good lord, I mean, he was leaving the yard. And then those pitches figured out what he couldn't hit, and then he had to figure out, you know, uh, they're going to throw pitches at you. But then he kind of settled down at the plate, like you said, Kevin. I mean, when the, as far as like hitting for power, if he can connect, he he is nice. I I think what he really really impressed me. It's to play at third. Like, he really, really, really started playing extremely well at third, judging the ball really, really well. But I think, too, Kevin, hey, man, sometimes you peak early. Most guys go their whole career never get no MVP consideration. Never. That, that is hard to do. But now it's, all right, man, it's not so much a dip. Can you stay steady? Because they go Ronald, they go Matt, they go Ozzy, they go Dansby, they go Rosario. You got a lot of guys, so I think his biggest competition is coming from his teammates, but I do think he can keep it up. And that sometimes can be a good thing. Yeah. Guys in the clubhouse pushing along as well. That's take three. We do each and every day at this time. We'll come back. We'll take a look at the NFC South. My, how things change in a short amount of time. And if you're the Falcons, that's not good. We'll get to that next. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Is this the Falcons anthem for... Uh, 2020. <laughs> they gonna need all. They gonna need this. Yes. I mean, it could be. It could be. I, I feel mean, something. Could just be indigestion, though. It could be. At yeah. the end of the day, but no, Ben, I, I want to ask you because again, so much has changed in just a couple of weeks. I remember being on this show, and just a few weeks ago, saying, "All right, so you don't have Calvin Ridley. You're gonna save that money against the cap. There's no Tom Brady." The the Panthers don't really have a quarterback, and New Orleans doesn't either, and they're kind of a mess as well. Could the Falcons actually do this thing with Matt Ryan and say, when I say do this thing, not win it, but could they actually be a player to win the division? And we all kind of said, yeah, you know, with a smart free agent play and a good draft, you could be. And then Tom says, I'm coming back. And then you try to make a play for Deshaun Watson, have egg on your face, and then... Matt Ryan gets moved. And now things have gone from he could be a contender to where we want to pick next year in, in, in the track in the span of a couple of weeks. I mean, how does that happen just that quickly where your mindset is, could you contend for an NFC South division title to, yikes, our roster is really tough. Perception and reality, uh, you know, it really, really hit the Falcons in the face. As you mentioned, Matty Ice was a Falcon you know, everything was all good just a week ago. Then Tom Brady, Mr. You know, AK got the bad got the baddest kids out there, 
came back to football. So that so that that's when it started turning. Then Matty Ice is gone because you was in Deshaun Watson uh, sweepstakes, and when they told uh, Matty Ice to defer that uh that roster bonus money, I'm like, uh oh. And, and what is about these deadlines? You know, baseball got to get it done by five o'clock. Got it done. Uh, if 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 Matty Ice is a brave at four o'clock, they got to pay him. I did it at three fifty six. Oh, it just dried. I think if you are the Atlanta Falcons and you are Terry Fontenot, thank God there is a Marcus Mariota who has some ties to Arthur Smith who who kind of understands what he's trying to do on offense. But Tom Brady makes any team he owns, which has only been two, uh, you know, a freaking uh, Super Bowl contender, not just a playoff contender. Jameis Winston was five and two in his seven stars last year uh, before he got hurt with the Saints. I don't know who's going to be the quarterback in Carolina, but they still could beat the Falcons because they got a better roster than the Falcons. So if you are the Falcons right now, you went from one having the best quarterback in the division to now definitely having the worst team in the division. I, I mean, the jury is still out on Marcus Mariota on how good of a player he still has left in the tank. But, Kevin, that's that's what happens when you don't have any money. Did you resign Cordell Patterson? Yep, that was lackluster. You got guys like – you know, uh, you know, you know, Casey. I mean, Casey Hayward. You got guys like Lorenzo Carter. You got guys like Tease Tabor. So you got two co- two cornerbacks and a defensive end. It doesn't matter because Tom Brady, Leonard Fournette, Chris Godwin, Gronk is gonna come back. I mean, you still got. I mean, you still got some really, really. You still got Levante David. You still got Devin White. And to me, uh, that's the thing with Tom Brady. It's not so much that you got Tom Brady back. It's how many guys came back because of him. Yeah, and, and that changed the outlook uh, for for trying to compete with Tampa Bay. Tom Brady didn't come back. I don't know if, so, if, if that many guys are still in Tampa Bay. Well, Blaine Gabbert, they were talking about Blaine Gabbert potentially being the starter <laughs> with uh, Kyle Trask uh, kind of compete for him to who's going to be the starting, uh, you know, uh, starting quarterback. Tom Terrific comes back. Leonard Fournette said going into the offseason he wanted to get a big time deal. Leonard Fournette signed a three year, twenty one million dollar deal. He went to New England, and it was like mm, Mac Jones, Tom Brady, Super Bowl. Uh, I'm com- I'm coming to Tampa. State tax, no state tax, it, it all just makes sense. But it's something that it's something that Darrell Reaver said. He was on he was on the podcast that I heard him say. They was like, is it Tom or is it Bill Bell? He said, it's Tom. Dude, he elevates everybody in his organization because you don't want to let him down. So Tampa is Tampa because Tom Brady is back. Bruce Aaron's gonna think he's actually a really, really good coach. We know it's all Tom Brady. You talk about a you talk about a team like New Orleans who always seemingly plays Atlanta tough. I mean, Jameis Winston, Alvin Kamara, healthy Michael Thomas. I mean, you know, Cameron Jordan. I mean, uh, you know, Chauncey got to judge. They got a good, they got a good freaking team, and they got Dennis Allen, so they hired from within. So that's that. So that's a wash. I mean, now you're waiting to see what Carolina's going to do in the draft. People say Carolina will get a quarterback. BS. Yes, they are. They're going to get one of these quarterbacks because Sam Darnold, Cam Newton, and PJ Walker. They don't want any of them right now. So yes, Kevin, the NFC South. I mean, went from very very mediocre to to, to you know. I mean, to definitely newsworthy because of Tom Brady. So I don't know what Atlanta's going to do because Marcus Mariota, he makes you feel good to go because it's saying we got somebody. Right? Like Atlanta has somebody. Uh, and he's recognizable. No so offense, at least Felipe no so Franks. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So at least walking around Flowery Branch, if he yeah. is at the restaurant, they say, hey, what's up, Marcus? Right? But, Kevin, you know, just like I know, the rubber going to have to meet the road here soon. <laughs> and it's not going to be good for Atlanta because. Lorenzo Carter signed a one-year deal with Atlanta Falcons because nobody else was really showing interest. And one-year deals mean you still got to prove it to us. One-year deals are prove-it deals. That's what, that's what they call them in the National Football League. Tease Tabor, I remember him coming out of Florida, but you're not on new teams because you was do, doing it for your old team. The old team wanted to get rid of you. Atlanta picks you up because they can get you for cheap. We still don't have a number one receiver in Atlanta. 
Kyle Pitts has never scored a touchdown in the States during the regular season. He scored within the Pro Bowl. Well, they, I can score within the Pro Bowl because ain't no, I mean, ain't no, ain't no, <laughs> ain't no defense going on. When you talk about when you talk about Atlanta just competing in this division, it's gonna be a long year because no matter who they get in the draft, or those draft picks, they gotta be key contributors. You can't get big name uh free agents you ain't got no money. So, yes, what a difference Tom Brady makes. Jameis Winston, people talk, oh, he's going to, of course, you always want to re-sign with a team that you did the most rehab with, that you're most familiar with. But, yes, Kevin, could I say they could be, you know, scratching and clawing for that fourth, for that third, you know, spot, depending on what happens with Carolina, but it's probably going to be a long year for Marcus Mariota. And, and again, finals. I think the change, the, you know, if Matt Ryan stays, I think you try to figure out some money uh, situations to make it all work. I know people will say this year is going to be tough. Next year, a lot of this money falls off, and – the Falcons essentially could become the Jacksonville Jaguars in terms of you just got so much money to spend, you can pretty much go out and make a competitive play for a lot of people. And I know people have said they think Jacksonville maybe misspent some of their money and gave guys too much money. But yeah. I, but if I understand the cap dollars correctly, people are saying 2022 is going to be tough. Next offseason, you will be in a very favorable situation like Jacksonville where you will have a lot of money, a lot of dead money falling off, a lot of money going away from the cap, and you should be able to go out and financially be very competitive to get big-name dudes that want to come in and play in Atlanta. But do you want to play with Marcus Mariota, or would you rather – I mean, again, I know yeah. uh, Christian and others have said, look, you're not going to get one of the top if, – if, you, if you're any good, and I say any good, like you're picking eight or nine, you're not going to get Bryce Young. You're not going to get C.J. Stroud in the mm-hmm. draft. So yeah. a guy's going to go I – mean, and again, I think that's part of the allure of drafting a young quarterback too is – not only do we think they're good, but can we get guys that want to come in and play with the new hot quarterback in the National Football League? If you don't get Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, or who knows, maybe Spencer Rattler has a great year uh, at South Carolina, are you going to be able to get those free agents to come in and play with Marcus Mariota? Or, and again, so I think this is a lot of questions out there, but Atlanta this year was going to have to be cheap and, and frugal, and we're seeing that, I think, a little bit. I think it would have been a little different had Matt Ryan stayed. They might have tried a little harder to uh, to put some things around there, but as you said, looks like 2022 could be tough in Atlanta. We'll come back. More to come. Connor Riley going to join us in about 20 minutes. Get the latest from UGA spring practice, and he'll join us here on 3 and Out. But speaking of uh, the draft, Ben, are you sold on Aiden Hutchinson? Maybe the Jags are waffling. We'll get to that next. 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here, 3 and Out, on this Friday. We'll hear from Connor Riley, Dog Nation, coming up in just a little bit. We'll get the latest from Georgia Spring Practice. Mark Richt addressing the uh, the media today. Uh, give us the uh, the latest from Spring Practice. And so looking forward to chatting with Connor coming up here in just a little bit. And Chikosian Okonkwu, former Maryland tight end, getting ready for the draft. Will join us top of the final hour here on the show as well. Ben Aiden Hutchinson, number one. I've seen people say put it in put it in ink. Jag's gonna do it. However. Last couple of days, I think we've seen other folks. I think what Maurice Jones-Drew said, he thinks it could be Rayvon Walker from Georgia going number one. A couple other folks have started to jump on that. Is, is this pre-draft misdirection? Is it Jacksonville putting stuff out there to try to keep – I mean, they have the number one pick, mm-hmm. but uh, are they trying to put it out there so maybe they could get value for number one if somebody really likes Caden Hutchinson or Trayvon Walker? Uh, to take that number one pick, are you still all in on it looks like the Jags are going to take Caden, Aiden Hutchinson, or are you thinking it really could be someone else? It could be. I mean, I, I never, ever, I never, ever act as if everything is just like in stone, Kevin, because 
anything outside of a quarterback, you are, you always get nervous because you can always compare and contrast. I mean, is Aiden Hutchinson a better prospect than Trayvon Walker? Who knows? Is they, did Aiden Hutchinson get get a lot of you know? Did he get all the hype coming in? Yes. Trayvon Walker, I saw they do like a, a simulation of like a grade for a player. He's a 99. Like Trayvon Walker is like in the 99 percentile and everything. Uh, he's, you know, from height, weight, uh, athleticism, 40. But, Kevin, I do I do think you make a good point when you say, look, sometimes if you are anybody but the Jags, I mean, yeah, man, just keep on saying we're going to trade this down the third. That way if we do indeed trade it. I'm going to go to your Twitter feed and say, this is y'all, right? Yeah, so y'all, we're going to need – you know, to be able to be – but I just think that, you know, Aiden Hutchinson has been talked about so long, and it would be weird if he don't go number one. But if it, if it is Trayvon Walker, I mean, he has jumped up on a lot, even though I do think Mr. Morris Jones Jr. That's a look, but you got to do something to get some clicks. Okay, Trayvon Walker, <laughs> number one. But I, but I do think, Kevin, I mean, but listen, until it's signed, sealed, and delivered, I think anything can happen at number one. I, I just wonder, given how deep the draft is and how deep it is on the defensive side of the ball, I know the Jags could use – pass rush, but given what they were able to do in free agency, Ben, uh, in Jacksonville, would it not be a ploy to move back and pick up some more picks? I mean, and I'm not saying move back to like 12, but could you move back still in the top 10 by by maybe building some interest in taking Kate, uh, Aiden Hutchinson number one or Trayvon Walker, somebody going to move up to take him uh, away from you where you could move back and potentially pick up another first-round pick and really uh, go at it uh, in this draft, and probably, again, so let's say you move back and you don't take Aiden Hutchinson. Is it that big of a drop-off to Kayvon no. Thibodeau? No. If you have to fall back, that's my, I mean, that's my point. So it's like, we have a DN, is there that much separation between those two on our board? If it's not, if, if I'm the Jags, I'm trying to shop out, right? I mean, and, and again, how do you do that? Well, you build interest in, oh, there's a guy that, not a, that nobody's talking about that the Jags are now saying they could take number one, and we really like that guy, so we're going to jump up. I don't think, obviously you can't, float the quarterback out there. Nobody that wants a quarterback is going to get scared that you're going to take their guy. So you got to build interest from somewhere, and it could be from the defensive line spot. And could you move back? I mean, could you move back? Somebody takes Aiden Hudson, and you get Trayvon Walker at 4 or 5. I mean, again, that's the that's the thing if I'm Jacksonville I'm talking about in the draft room is like, guys, I know we like Aiden Hudson. Is this a can't-live-without player? Because if we can live without him, there's two or three other guys that are, that are really, really close to doing the exact same thing he could potentially do if we can move back and, and we can pick up more picks. I mean, you could. I mean, like I said, I think I think you got so much leverage when you got the number one overall pick because you first. We control everything. Yeah. And I think if you are if you are the Jags, do you try to build your team uh, for the future in 2021 to 2022 draft, depending on what you do? I think that's definitely a possibility because if there is depth at any position, it is definitely at the defensive line position. Well, I mean, and again, I, I know we've had our – or go back and forth on, on Aiden Hutchinson. And no, none of us on the show have been really high on him as far as what we keep going back to. Is he a talent? Yes. But on the biggest stage against the best team you played, you got schemed out of the game. And not only did you get schemed out of the game, you got dominated out of the game uh, by, by two very good offensive linemen who are probably going to end up in the pros as well. And it, it's no different in, in the National Football League, Ben, right? I mean, you bring in a guy... Uh, against uh, for Jacksonville, if you're Aiden Hutchinson, do we do we care how you play against the Houston Texans? Yeah, somewhat. But we really care how you play against Indianapolis. We care how you play against Tennessee. Really care if we if we have a game against Buffalo or we get in heaven forbid Jacksonville one day gets in the playoffs. Are you going to perform against those type of teams? Because again, 
people people to me have been brushing off the Georgia tape like it's just an outlier. Yeah. And I'm like, that's the best competition. I mean, I know Ohio State, but you went up against the eventual national championship and a champion, and you were a not that's the big stage. You were one of only two games in the playoffs in college football. And you got dominated. Absolutely it wasn't like, oh, you had an off game. You got dominated. Yes. To me, that's a red flag on taking him number one. It is a red flag, Kevin, but I do think you the one listen, the one thing that would never, ever, ever, ever be defeated is the hype train. And and Aiden Hutchinson had two sacks going into 2021. I mean, obviously, and then he you saw what he did last year. Kevin, we'll see. But the same reason why they, they drafted would have been the same reason why they criticize you if and when you do not pan out. Again, I I'm starting to say maybe the Jags don't do it. I know a lot of people say I'm crazy. It's going that way. I'm thinking they may try to trade out or look somewhere else. We'll come back. We'll switch gears. Georgia. Spring practice going on. Kirby Smart met with the media. Connor Riley, Dog Nation. Going to give us the latest from dog practice when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Spring practice rolling right along there in Athens as uh, Kirby Smart addressed the uh, the media. Uh, earlier today, Connor Riley, Dog Nation, joining us here on 3 and Out. Connor, welcome. How are you? Doing good. Uh, glad to be chatting with you guys on this fine Friday. Yeah, man, appreciate you coming on. Uh, I know Kirby keeps it kind of close to uh, to the vest. Did he spill any information here on this Friday about how things are progressing here in spring practice? Yeah, you know, I, I think the big thing with Kirby right now is he wants to see leaders emerge. You know, with all the talent that was lost off of last year's team, Jordan Davis, N'Kobe Dean, Trayvon Walker, even on the offensive side, James Cook, Samir White, those guys were all really significant leaders for this Georgia team. And I think he's really wanting to see who are the guys that step up into this role. You know, Keely Ringo is not a, a vocal leader, a loud guy. And so uh, I, I think he's wanting to see, you know, who emerges as those leaders. And right now he's really trying to challenge those guys this spring. Didn't love what he saw to practice from his team earlier this week. And I think he wants to see, you know, again, a player-led team like we saw a season ago, which of those players are going to be the ones that step up and sort of take leadership of this team? And, Connor, as, uh, you know, as uh, incredible as the practice has been, as revved up as the practice has been, I mean, how, how would you describe the intensity coming off a national championship? Uh, I think there's a, a, a respect for what they did last year, but an understanding of, hey, this is a new team. We're going to have to win a different way. You know, I still expect – Georgia's defense to obviously be very good this season, but you don't lose all the talent and all the special talent that they had last season and to retain that level of success, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Now, come the end of the season, I still think Georgia's going to have a very good defense, but start the year, they're going to need to win more with offense. They're going to need Stetson Bennett to play better. They're going to need Kendall Bilton and Kenny McIntosh to sustain and probably even improve upon what Zemir White and James Cook gave them a season ago. They're going to need this offensive line, which returns a lot of interesting pieces, to play better than it did last year. And so I think with all that out there, this team knows that they're going to have to win a different way and really be a different team. So even though they won a national championship last year, I think it's a big reason why we've seen Kirby Smart say, we're not defending a championship. That was last year's team. It was So much has gone from that team. It's hard to really say that this 22 team is going to be the same one that we saw a season ago. So who are some of the new faces that people are going to be hearing from here about trying to make this starting unit that's kind of waited their turn? I mean, we hear about that at places like Alabama where, hey, you waited your turn, you got the talent. I think Georgia has recruited to that. Who are those guys that have waited their turn and are now ready to kind of have their name hit the spotlight? Yeah, I think the guy on the defensive side of the ball, that his name is really 
and I, I hate to use this pun, but popped out this spring by just about everyone we talked to is Jermon Dumas Johnson, who they call Pop. Pop is his nickname because it just seems like he pops up and makes plays all the time. This is a guy who didn't play a whole lot last year, obviously, because you have N'Kobe Dean, Channing Tindall, Quay Walker in front of him, but seemed to make plays when he did get time at the end of games last season. And, you know, with Georgia battling some injuries at linebacker right now, Dumas Johnson has really positioned himself well to be a, a player in that linebacker room, but also a potential leader of the defense. On the offensive side of the ball, I think Marcus Roseby Jack Saint is the guy we got to hear from yesterday, a guy who's always done the little things really well, and I think we're going to see that transfer this coming season into being a really good player for this offense at the wide receiver position. He, along with Dominic Blaylock, you know, they've had to wait their time just to be healthy. And so I think going forward, that's what you want to see from them. And if they're healthy, I do think they're going to be able to contribute to this team this season. Kind of no Brock Bowers, no Darnell Washington. Talk about those young tight ends getting a chance to go out there and kind of showcase themselves even more by getting more reps uh, in the spring. Yeah, I mean, uh, Oscar Delp is a guy who drew, I think, some unfair comparisons to Brock Bowers when he was coming in as a prospect. But with no Bowers, no Washington, as you point out, they're going to get a ton of reps. Oscar Delp's going to get a ton of reps. He's just going to, you know, learn the role that he's going to be asked to play. And really, you know, for Delp in particular, it's probably a pretty good thing that Bowers and Washington aren't out there because it allows him to get up to speed quicker and allows him to sort of have a better understanding of this offense and what life is like as a college football player. And also, I mentioned a Reed Gilbert there as well at the tight end position. That is where he is playing for Georgia right now. And I think the fact that, again, you know, for him stepping away and being away from the game for as long as he was, that there's no Bowers in Washington eating into his reps is going to help him get to football shape once again, both from a physical and a mental standpoint. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, joining us here on 3 and Out. Connor, I know it's been quiet. I know people have uh, their own opinions about it, but is there a quarterback competition battle, for? I mean, if, if not for first, for second going on right now? I would definitely say for second team, I think the most interesting thing we're going to probably learn coming out of spring practice is how do things shape up between Brock Vandergriff and Carson Pack. I still expect Stetson Bennett to be the starter week one against Oregon. If he plays well throughout the season, he's going to remain the starter. But I think it'll be interesting to see if a Vandergriff or a Beck is able to push him and really you know, find a way or carve out a role for this team. You know, It wouldn't surprise me to potentially see, you know, sort of like we saw last year with Stetson in games where JT Daniels was healthy, find his way on the field for a series or two or, or a certain package of plays there. I think it'll be interesting to see how the development of Grand Vandergriff and Beck go this coming season. I would also mention Gunnar Stockton as well as a freshman, but you know, him coming in, I, I think expectations right now are quite as high as where they are for Beck and Vandergriff. Connor, how 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 much more comfortable is a guy like Kirby Smart knowing that you got a guy like like Stetson Bennett? I mean, when you talk about how much a person can meet to a, to a school. Talk about him in this spring and how much has he meant to this Georgia program, not just going into this year, the last couple of years. Yeah, when well, we got a chance to talk to Stetson earlier this week, he, he talked a little bit about his decision to come back and said he talked with Kirby Smart, talked with some of the offensive coaches, liked some of the things he heard, didn't like some of the things he heard. And I think Kirby Smart even talking about Bennett this week. The big thing for Stetson, and really, if he does this, he's going to get to a point where you know the criticism's not going to be there. If he gets rid of those boneheaded plays in the words of his head coach, Kirby Smart, if he's not making those turnovers, I think that's going to remove any doubt because we've seen Stetson Bennett is pretty consistently in big stages able to make plays. You look at what he did against Michigan. You look at what he did in the fourth quarter there against Alabama. At that same point in time, early on in that fourth quarter, he did have a very, very difficult turnover that – 
was really a, an unforced error there. And so if he cuts out those plays, if he limits them even further than he did this previous season, I think that's really going to set him up to be an even more special player for this Georgia offense this coming season. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, joining us. Uh, Connor, been kind of asked it, but I want to ask it from a, a, a different direction. You know, obviously they have a lot of momentum coming off the national championship, but we see this in teams and how that, that this dynamic kind of changes. But how do you think this Georgia program changes from a team that was on the hunt, that was trying to climb the mountain, that had that bullseye on Alabama's back, that was we want to get there and win it, to now they're the hunted. They're going to get everybody's best shot. They're going to be the team out there that – People say, hey, we could beat the defending national champions. I mean, how do you think this program transitioned from, you know, pressure's a privilege and we're trying to get there and we want to be the championship program and we can do this and that, too? They've done it. How do they transition to being the hunted out there instead of the team going after it? I honestly don't think it changes that much for this team. You know, Georgia's been the class of the SEC East for the last four or five seasons with a Kirby Smart. You know, they're used to, you know, every SEC stadium they walk into, this is Georgia, this is Kirby Smart's Georgia, this is a big challenge. And, you know, yes, they beat Alabama last year. They win the national championship. But I don't think anyone's making the argument that Alabama still isn't the premier team in college football. And when Georgia and Alabama played this season in the SEC championship game, which I expect them to do, you know, even though Georgia won the national championship last year, Alabama's pretty clearly going to be a favorite unless some things drastically change between now and then, which they very well could. But I I think for Georgia in that aspect, you know, as weird as it is to say, well, yes, they won a national championship last year. This is still in the program-building, program-ascending phase. They haven't you know, fully built out the Death Star yet. Yes, it's operational, but we're not at the point where, where Alabama is where, yes, you can lose you know, what, say, they lost last season and still wind up in the national championship game and have a lead in the fourth quarter, and if a few more of your guys are healthy, maybe it's a different game there. So I do think because of Alabama's prolonged success at the top, that does keep you know a target off Georgia per se, but they're still one of the more hunted teams in college football. And Georgia still knows at the end of the day that if they want to be the best team, the best program in college football, which they want to, they're going to have to beat Alabama not just once but more times in the future. How much is uh, obviously Kirby coming off a national championship? I mean, he's learned everything uh, from Nick Saban. Now we get to see how he takes on that coming off a national championship, as Kevin mentioned, being the hunted, saying, look, I mean, this business as usual. The last time Alabama won the national championship, Alabama lost to SEC. The, the, the first time Georgia won it in 40-some years, they lost to SEC, and they win the national championship. I mean, they literally are taking everything from them boys from Tuscaloosa at this point. Yeah, and so it'll be interesting to sort of see. Cause Kirby Smart, you know, go back to 2010 after they won that first national championship at Alabama under Nick Saban. You know, that team was loaded with talent, and they still went 10-3 and three that next season. And he's been on teams where, at the same point in time, Kirby Smart has been on a repeat team at Alabama when they won in 2012 after winning in 2011. So he has seen the, the, you know, the downside of being a defending national champion and what happens when you don't necessarily handle your business the right way and how things can turn out when you do go about handling things the right way as a champion. And, and you have some of those key pieces that are back that know what it is like to win a national championship and could potentially go out there and repeat there. So I, I do think you know, how Georgia plays this season and how it defends, and I use that in air quotes, it defends its national title, I do think is going to say a lot about where this program is going to be headed in the near future. I'd be floored if there was an LSU-type drop-off, but at the same point in time, it wouldn't surprise me to see, you know, if this team, if the leadership doesn't take hold, them lose a game or two or maybe even three. And, and so I, I think this season is going to really tell us a lot 
about where the year-in, year-out health of this Georgia program is. Obviously, 2021 was a special team, but if we're able to see Georgia you know, get back to the playoff, win the SEC, maybe win the SEC this season, I think you feel great about where this program is going forward, for them to be able to lose that kind of talent and still be one of the four or five best teams in college football. Connor Riley, Dog Nation, our guest here on 3 and Out. Connor, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure, guys. Appreciate it. Connor Riley joining us here as Georgia going through spring ball, Ben, with, uh, again, that role of defending national champ uh, labeled to him. I'm interested, Again, interesting to see how, how that gets handled. I, again, you can go out there and say, hey, we're going to put that by and run to pre-. But, again, these are 18- to 20-year-old kids who just won the national championship and have been – some of them came back last year to crest that mountain, and they did. Kevin, isn't that the drama? How you handle winning, how you handle success, we'll see what happens. But I think with Kirby Smart being at the helm, I think it'll be just fine. Yeah, again, a lot to build on uh, there with what he's uh, put down at uh, Georgia. A lot more to come here in the final hour of the program. Chigozi and Okonkwo, former Maryland, uh, tied in. Now we're getting ready for the draft. He will join us here on 3 and Out. We're getting close to Braves baseball and more still to come. Don't go anywhere. 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network, streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, and on YouTube at ESPN Coastal. One more hour to go here on this Friday. A lot to get to here on the show as we get ready for the second night of the Sweet 16. Hopefully, well, it can't get much worse for my bracket than it did last night, Ben. So we'll get to, we'll get to all that uh, coming up uh, in just a little bit. But obviously, a lot of folks waiting for the draft. Our next guest, uh, certainly doing that out of Maryland, had 50, 52 catches for 447 yards and five touchdowns a season ago, including a uh, season high, 112 yards against Michigan State uh, last year for the University of Maryland. And uh, Chagosium Akonko joins us here on 3 and Out. Chagosium, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great, man. How are you? Uh, doing fantastic. Uh, obviously, the season ended for you guys uh, back in the Pinstripe Bowl. What's the, the schedule kind of been like uh, for you getting ready for uh, the NFL draft and uh, continuing that, that football career? Yeah, man, it's uh, it actually been pretty fun, very interesting. You know, when I went down after the contract, but went down to Florida, and then I was training for the combine there in Fort Lauderdale, uh, XP Sports, and the days were actually, like, they were awesome, man. Like, I wake up, you know, wake up 6 a.m., you go train, 7.15, get your PT, your or get all your treatment, your stretches, then you go home, which is like five minutes down the road, and then you come back 2.30, Work out again. Then you get, you know, we have these ladies there, a sports stretch company. That's a very good, like, um, licensed massage group that helps us, you know, get recovered. And then from then on, my days were done at like 3:30, and I didn't have anything to do since I already graduated. So it was, it was very odd, you know, you know, just being out there and just kind of living the life of a pro. Talk about your performance at the combine. I mean, uh, you, I mean, really tore it up. I mean, definitely on the forty. Just talk about what you was able to really go up there and end it, really show people. Listen, man, I'm not just a really, really good player. I'm a great athlete. Will you break it down as well? Yeah, I mean, that, the forty was the one thing I really wanted to, you know, show at the combine. I had heard some stuff from teams that, you know, times I thought were really slow, and I thought it was very disrespectful. So, you know, that's definitely one thing I wanted to show was my speed, my athleticism. I believe I'm the most, you know, unique tight end in the class, you know, blend of speed, power, catching, you know, versatility. So that's the main thing I really wanted to focus on. So that's what we've been focusing on training, just hammering that. I'm just glad I got to go out there. I actually did a run where actually what I wanted to run. I was expecting to run a 4-4, but it ended up with a 4-5-2. 
you know, can't complain too much. No, I I wouldn't complain about that from my end, but yeah, that's blazing fast. It seems like you kind of feel like you fit that new developing style of tight end, where as you said, you got the speed, but you also have the power and some of those things that uh, we see from some of the tight ends in the NFL now. Yes, sir. I feel like I have a, a great you know makeup of all of it. And she go, I mean, when you when I when I look at you, man, obviously you know I, I think of a guy, you know, uh. Uh, like like a John U. Smith, you know. Um, I mean Delaney Walker. You guys are really really uncoverable. I mean, the one play I kept seeing them using you with with uh with Maryland man was that was that was that uh, that, that that sweet play. I mean, talk about the fact that they giving you the ball in the backfield and you not just running away from guys. I mean, guys. I mean, in the open field, you got a lot of wiggle to you. But talk about just being, being able to create plays for a tight end for you that I ain't really see other uh, uh colleges and universities doing for their players. Yeah, I definitely I got I got to uh play in a lot of roles in my time in college. You know, my first year I got to take that take on that role of, you know, being a ball carrier and, and uh just taking jet sweeps. So that that was very fun. I feel like that's gonna help me in the league because I feel like the type of player I am, I can be that, you know, Debo Samuel, you know, quarter passing type type of player that can, you know, take snaps from the backfield if you need to and line them up in different positions. How much more dangerous does that make you as a player coming into the National Football League when you think about the tight end position being a glamour position, a really, a really like weapon on the offense? You talk, you mentioned Debo Samuels. You look at yourself as more of a weapon first, a tight end second, or a tight end that can play like a weapon on offense? I say a tight end that can play like a weapon on offense. I like it that way. And Chico, man, I mean, I mean, when I watch you play, man, I mean, I've never heard of tight end. What's up with y'all Maryland tight ends, man? I came out way back in 2004, <laughs> right? And then uh, I see a guy like Vernon Davis. What's up with y'all freakish guys going to Maryland, man? <laughs> nah, man, I, I don't know, man. That Vernon's a whole different different world than me. So, yeah. Maybe yeah. there's the Maryland guys. I don't know. I'm just saying though, man. When, when uh, you know, I don't know if you guys had your pro day. I remember, Mar- I, I remember Vernon just walking around, you know, uh, you know, looking like all he do is work out all day. I mean, I, I've seen your physique, man. I mean, what's up, man? I mean, are y'all allowed to have body fat when you play tight end for Maryland? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> hey, you gotta, uh, you gotta talk to our nutritionist, Lauren, man. She gets us right. I gotta say though, man, you played for Mike Loxley. I mean, I got a chance to. Uh, Play under Mike's locker. He was a running backs coach in Florida my last two years. Talk about playing under him as a head coach and how much and how much like he give you guys a chance to be just like take ownership. I know you were part of the anti hate, anti racism coalition up there, man. Just talk about how much he let you guys not just focus on being football players, but uh, developing as young men as well. Yeah, one of the main things Coach Lodge preaches that like we're is we're a football family, man, and he just you know I remember every meeting he's like. The uh, every like checkpoint meeting we have, he's always stressing like overly stressing, talking about like mental health and like talking about like if you need anything, that like, we have all these resources here, we have all these resources in place, you know, to get right because you know it's all like that mental health piece is a very important thing. You know, coaches are probably starting to realize that like when your coaches are in a mental, you know, mental better mental, mental space and you know the play better, you perform better. So. Yeah, it's just uh, great having a coach that, you know, is aware of all those kind of things and is more progressive and just allows us, you know, to be more vocal and express ourselves and, you know, get on these coalitions and, you know, just get to speak out about, like, real things. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're not just – we're not football players. You know, we're, we're people in society, too, that are affected by real real issues. So that's a big thing for me. Powder Springs, Georgia, Maryland Terps, 
Did you grow? Did, I mean, is there a certain is there a certain team that you grew up being a fan of? And obviously, you it don't matter to you who drafts you, but was there a certain team that you grew up being a fan of? Uh, you know, in your days in Powder Spring. Nah, I I was always a fan of of players. Really, I wasn't really a fan of teams because I was I always saw myself playing somewhere and like playing in college and playing in the NFL. So I was like, I don't want to be a fan of a team and then you know go to a different team. <laughs> You have to stick it to them then if if you go to that other team, of course. Right. <laughs> and then if you, uh, you you talk about being a fan of players, I heard you mention Debo Samuels earlier. Is there a tight end in the NFL that not necessarily you want to mirror your you know mirror your game after, but it's certain characteristics about the way he plays that you like? Um, I feel like uh, I like like a combination man, like George Taylor, like he's physical. He's a dog. Then you got Kelsey, who's just insanely smart, you know, with route running, getting open. Without Biggie, he's still creating separation, you know. Mark Andrews, you know, a complete package of everything. And then versatility-wise, like John Smith, you know, those type of guys. I just want to really be a complete player at the end of my days. And Chico, I mean, you know, when your name gets called, uh, you know, draft day, what is that going to mean to you and what is it going to mean to your family? Uh, it doesn't mean to me that there's more work to be done. You know, this is the beginning of something new. You know, for me, it, I don't think I've made it when I get drafted. I feel like I'm going to make it, you know, when I get my second contract in the league. So, for me, that's another step, to, you know, to grind more. My family, it'll be fun for them, exciting for them. They'll get to, you know, say their, their brother, their son, their cousin is in the league. So, that would be cool for them. <laughs> Chigo Aquanco, former Maryland tight end, getting ready for the uh, NFL draft. Hey, appreciate the time. Best of luck to you moving forward, man. Thanks so much. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. See, uh, George is here, and again, I liked I liked his answer. Of uh, hey, I'm I'm I haven't made it till I get that second deal. Ben, you talk you've talked about this yeah. a lot uh, uh, in the National Football League. Like, you made it, and that is a big deal. Not a lot of people do it. When you have that staying powers, when they call you back and say, hey, we want to get you for another. X number of years and you get that second contract. Uh, that is something that people hear. We hear it. We talk about it on the show. Oh, Aaron Rodgers got this or this guy got this or this guy. Get, getting to that second deal is not the the norm for most guys in the National Football League. So uh, uh, quite a, a a great goal, obviously, going into it, having that as the goal. Yeah, Chico sounds like a – I mean, listen, he sounds like a, a crafty veteran already. He sounds very sure of himself, very confident. And, you know, I mentioned that whole thing about Mike Loxley and helping those guys develop away from the field. That, that's where the confidence is built because it shows you that, hey, you take the pads off. I mean, I'm, I'm, an, asset in, I'm an asset in society. I'm never, ever going to just be another face in the room. And I like what he said. I mean, I'm a fan of players and not teams. I thought he was going to say them A-Town down five. But see, that's how bad <laughs> they've they been. They, they don't need for a tight long, for, you know, for a long. But, I, but I, I will say, a guy like Chigo, when you, you said it, Kevin, when you look at the evolution of the tight end position, he's that move tight end, that guy that that's in the backfield, that's creating mismatches. That you, obviously, he's saying, my freshman year, I got used to carrying the football out the backfield. What? He that's not normal. And when you think about it, those freak Frank Wachek, nineteen ninety, Vernon Vernon Davis, four three. He got mags out. Supposed to run a four four, ran a four five two. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. When is four five two not freakish at the time? Yeah, but uh, but she goes going to make a team very very happy because he's multifaceted, kind of that Swiss Army knife. Obviously, he can play tight end. Obviously, he can block. Obviously, he can catch. Obviously, he can run. But I think uh, any any team that's going to get him that offensive coordinator, they're going they're going to be licking their chops because you got a guy that you can do a lot of plays for. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I think uh, in today's NFL, uh, you you can see it with guys like Bill Belichick doing it's like versatility. 
is a big, big thing. If you can play tight end, if you can play uh, H-back, if you can put your hand in the dirt, if you can line up out uh, out in the slot and, and go make plays uh, and wherever you go, that's a huge, huge thing uh, in today's NFL for the tight end because you got to be strong. As you, you've said this here, you got to be strong enough to hit a DN fast enough to outrun a linebacker, you know, and and it's just one of those very interesting, uh, you know, spots in the football field where you got to have a good combination of things if you want to be really effective. Well, yeah, Kevin. I mean, it's 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 the more you can do, and that and that's in any sport. You don't. I don't want to specialize in what you start specializing in things in sports the older you get. You know. When you first come into the league, man, what can't you do? I'd be like, no, it's what can I do? You put me on the football field, I can get it done. And when I, I kept watching that same play, I'm like, why do they keep letting them run the ball? I, and this is like a normal play, like a normal running play for them. And next thing you know, five yards become 10, 10 becomes 20. I saw one, he took like 60 yards. If if you are an offensive coordinator, you're saying, dude, I'm not just putting him in the backfield to block. He could be catching out the backfield. And then you forget, oh, he's also a tight end that loves to block because he's ferocious as a block. I mean, 6'2", 250 pounds. I mean, he's built. I mean, chiseled. The guy, the guy's, the guy's built like a freaking bodybuilder. He runs like a freaking track star, but obviously has tight end next to his name. Big-time player. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out on this Friday afternoon. We'll come back. We'll chat with Marty Lyons, former Alabama uh, All-American and New York Jets defensive end. Remember that New York sack exchange uh, there as well. And with the Marty Lyons Foundation, got a big event coming up in coastal Georgia. We'll talk to him next. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Welcome back to 3 and Out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett here with you. Glad you're making us a part of your day as we... Again, a lot going on in the NFL offseason. Of course, a big event coming up in the month of April on April the 9th, the uh, High Tide Classic. Uh, they're benefiting the Marty Lions Foundation. And joining us here to talk about that and more, a uh, former number one overall or number one pick by the New York Jets in 1979, at 14th overall, All American uh, out of Alabama. Marty Lions joins us here on Three and Out. Marty, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you coming on and uh, and joining us and you know coming out of Alabama to the Jets. Uh, what was that transition like? You got a bunch of kids now uh, getting ready to do that same thing, going through the combine, the offseason. I mean, obviously that has changed. What was uh, your schedule like post Alabama prior to the draft by the Jets? Well, I think first of all, the one thing that kept me in the league for as long as I played and helped me my rookie season was the fundamentals that I learned at the University of Alabama underneath Coach Bryan and Ken Donahue, the defensive line coach, I was, I was undersized. I came in weighing about 248, and they put me at the outside position, defensive end. Second year, I went inside where I was more familiar playing defensive tackles. But really, if, if you can work on your fundamentals and you have the fundamentals sound and in place until you get – acclimated to the NFL, it'll keep you in the league. Marty, you mentioned it there. How much did playing and starring at a place like Alabama help prepare you for the National Football League? Well, I think it prepared us, but it also it was a challenge every day at practice. Coach Bryan had a philosophy that he was going to push you as hard as he could during practice, and if you were going to quit, you weren't going to quit in a game. You were going to quit in practice. You'd quit on yourself. You'd quit on your teammates. But he made sure that we had a relationship with every one of our teammates to make sure that they understood that we're not just teammates, we're family. And if you do your job and I do my job and we have 11 guys on defense all doing what they're supposed to do, 
then you can be successful. And I think we proved that in the goal line stand down there against Penn State in the Sugar Bowl to win the national championship my senior year. It was just a, a perfect play, well-designed by Ken Donahue, a good defense, and everybody did what they were supposed to do from David Hanna to Barry Krause to Rich Wingo, Murray Legg. You can name everybody out there on the field. Everybody was instrumental in making that big play on the goal line. Marty Lyons joining us here on Three and Out. And, and Marty, look at Alabama now. Certainly uh, the, the legacy of uh, Bear Bryant is carried through right into to, to Nick Saban here as they win the SEC, come up just short in uh, the, the national championship game. But uh, speak as a, a former Alabama player who played under uh, you know Bear Bryant, what you see from Nick Saban where it's just even in a, quote, retooling year of some sorts, they, they still won the SEC and, and went to the national championship game. Well, they did, and I think they were a little disappointed with not winning the national championship, but I think you got to give credit to Kirby Smart and his uh, coaching staff and what Georgia did, their game plan. They made the adjustments. And, you know, Alabama lost a, a few key players, but it's always that next player up. You've got to have that mentality, and I'm sure that Coach Saban is going to go back and reload this year and make the players commit to saying, hey, you know what, it's, it's one thing to win the SEC championship. It's another thing to win the national title. And that's our goal every year from day one of spring training to the day one that we start the season. That's our goal. Seems like in football today, whether collegiately or professionally, uh, you have you know the, the big-time offenses, the uh, high scoring totals, the, the yardage records. But how much of football, Marty, even still today, comes down to winning right there at the line of scrimmage? Well, I think that it comes down to how good is your offensive line, how good is your defensive line. Um, you can definitely cover some of the mistakes that the secondary is making or if you have a young secondary, if your front seven can put pressure on the quarterback. Uh, but if you don't get pressure on the quarterback, sometimes it doesn't matter how good your secondary is because you're allowing the offense and the quarterback in these new RPOs and everything to make something out of nothing. So I, I think you need those guys to block for the quarterback. You need them to open holes for the running back. But you need that front seven on defense. That's so important to put pressure on the quarterback, control the line of scrimmage. Marty Lyons joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Marty, you've got uh, the ninth annual Georgia chapter uh, High Tide Classic coming up on April 9th at the Jekyll Island Golf Club, benefiting the Marty Lyons Foundation before that uh, event before we talk about that. I did want for folks who are not familiar with what uh, you have done with, with your foundation, just kind of tell folks what the Marty Lyons Foundation is and why you started and kind of where that, that passion came from. Okay, back in uh, 1982, my oldest son, Rocky, was born on March 4th. My dad suddenly passed away on March 8th, and little boy that I was a big brother to uh, passed away on March 10th. Uh, so in a matter of you know, six days, you go from the ultimate high to the ultimate low. I was only 25 years old playing football for the New York Jets. And, you know, that passion of playing football, you kind of look at life differently uh, when the good Lord challenges you. He gave me a healthy son, but he took away two people that were very instrumental in my life that I loved tremendously. And uh, days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months. And once, and I started to get very bitter, and I started to look at myself in the mirror, and I said, you know what? I'm allowing death to define who I am, because 
they always say time heals everything, but in this situation, I couldn't allow too much time to go by. I was changing too much, and I reached out to one of my teammates, and I said, you know, I want to start a program. I wanted to take the greatest wish in life for any child that's been labeled terminally ill or suffers with a chronic life-threatening illness. I said, I want to take their greatest wish in life and make it become a reality. I want to give them that same opportunity that I had running out on the field in Alabama, running out on the field with the New York Jets. You know, you have a sense that you're important. And I wanted these children to know, even though that they may live a short life, that they were important, that they could make an impact on the people that listened to them. And here we sit 40 years later um, with uh, a lot of children that we've been able to help. We've helped over 8,100 families. We've raised over close to $37 million. And we took just that small concept of helping these children, and now we're in 13 states with 10 chapters. And it's only because people believe in the mission and they see where their money's going to go, and they realize that you don't have to be a professional athlete to make a difference. All you have to do is care. Some people can donate money because financially they're, they're solid. Other people, they, don't, they can't donate money, but they have time. That's great because we always look for people to help us coordinate the wishes. If you don't have money and you don't have time, I believe in thoughts and prayers because there's many kids that I've been in the hospital with that you're just saying, Lord, you know, help this child out. I don't know how much longer the family can take it. And the next thing you know, there's a miracle that happens and that child is healthy again. So thoughts and prayers really do go a long way. Marty, it's amazing work. Uh, talk about that, that opportunity that you've made your life's mission to uh, bring a smile to a child's face, to help a family uh, to impact lives, just just talk about uh, that 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 passion you have and uh, what it's like being able to do this, uh, still do this so many years later. Well, I've got to give credit to everybody that has believed in the mission because it's not me. Because in life, you don't accomplish anything by yourself. You surround yourself with good people. There's good people down there in Georgia. This high tide classic has been a sellout every year. My brother Philip ran it. Philip passed away. Now his son, my nephew, Philip uh, Jr., is running it. But if it wasn't for the people that support the foundation, I always tell the people, come on in, see if this is something you'd like to do, and then put your name to the foundation. It doesn't need to carry my name. It carries everybody's names. And the real rewards in life is, you know, you help a family and – Years after the fact of helping them, you run back into the family and they remind you that, you know what, 20 years ago you helped my child. You sent us to Disney World. I go, well, how, how is your child doing? They go, unfortunately, they pa uh, he or she passed away. And I go, well, hey, I'm so sorry. They go, no, don't be. If it wasn't for you, your organization, the people that believed in you and the people that believed in your mission, we would have no memories to hold on to. So that's what drives me is being around these, the people that believe in the mission <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, and people that are, realize that the real rewards in life don't always have to come right away. We live in a world of instant gratification, and athletes are probably the worst. You have a good game on Sunday, you want to read about it on Monday, 
But the real rewards come years after the fact of doing something. School teachers, coaches, when they work with athletes or student athletes, they go on that, that student athlete goes on to be successful. You know, I remember leaving St. Pete Catholic. We were a small school. I went to Alabama, came up here for the Jets. But the most important person in my life at that time was my head football coach in high school because he saw more in me than I saw in myself. And if he didn't bring it out of me, then I don't know where I would have gone. So I always, the first person I like to thank is George O'Brien. I mean, he saw more in me than I saw in myself in 1972. And he was patient. He started writing letters to colleges saying, hey, I think this kid could play. And next thing you know, you have a college recruit sitting there in the stands on Friday night that you're wondering, who is he here looking at? And next thing you know, you realize, hey, he's looking at me because you have a head football coach that took the extra effort to contact these coaches to say, hey, this kid can play. So I look at life as uh, the total rewards aren't really what I look for now. Uh, The real rewards are still coming in 40 years later uh, when we're celebrating it together. Marty Lyons joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and Marty, you've got the ninth annual uh, Georgia Chapter High Tide Classic coming up on Jekyll Island, a a golf event. Tell folks briefly uh, about that, and if they want to get involved, how can they do that? Well, the best thing to do is go to the Marty Lyons Foundation or reach out to uh, the Georgia chapter. I know Philip Jr., uh, my nephew, is doing an excellent job down there and the support staff that he's been able to put together. I know my brother, Phil, loved the people of Jekyll Island, loved the people of Brunswick, Georgia. If they can come out, show their support. Every single dollar we make, we try to take dollars and turn them into $10, and $10 turn them into 100 The more money we raise, the more kids we can help. That's the bottom line. And every, when you don't think you can make a difference, you can. And I remember being in a church in Alabama one time, And the minister was reading from the book of Luke. He said, he who has much, much is expected. And I think what we got to all do is slow our lives down sometimes and look around and realize how fortunate we are. Look at your own life from the outside in, not the inside out. You look at it from the inside out, sometimes it gets distorted because you feel like, hey, I work as hard as that guy. Why don't I have that big house? I work as hard as that other guy. Why don't I have that big car? But when you look from the outside in, you'll realize how fortunate you are, and then you put the back part of that uh, phrase in there, much as expected. You'll raise your own expectations. You'll feel better about who you are. You'll have more drive in your life. You'll have more things that you want to accomplish, and hopefully in doing so, you'll help more people along the way. Marty Lyons uh, joining us here on 3 and Out. Marty, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, guys, I appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we can get some more people to come out on April 9th. And God bless everybody and stay well. Absolutely. Marty Lyons joining us here on 3 and Out. You can go to martylyonsfoundation.org and find out more information on the ninth annual Hyde Tide Classic coming up on April 9th 
at the Jekyll Island Golf Club. We've got more to come here. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here. Three and out on this Friday. Kevin Thomas, Ben Troop, glad you're making us a part of your day. Two weeks from today, the Braves will be getting ready to take on the Cincinnati Reds. We talked about it with Georgia football, Ben. Can the Braves be the hunted? Again, you had a bunch of guys who have known winning. It was all about since Acuna, Albie. Some of these guys showed it was about cresting that hill, getting over the division, doing that, winning in the playoffs finally, did that, beat those Dodgers, did that, win a World Series, did that. Now you got Dave Roberts out there with the Dodgers, getting a new contract extension to be the manager of the Dodgers, saying, uh, I think he told Dan Patrick yesterday, write it down, hold me to it. We are winning the World Series this year. So they're coming for you. There are some other teams. The Mets want a piece. The Phillies would love a piece uh, of the Atlanta Braves, who have won the division, uh, what, four years in a row. How does this team react to being the hunted? I, th- I think I think that's what we're looking forward to, right, Kevin, because we've seen everything else. Like, I remember what uh, I remember what I've been in. We'll say, oh, it's all in for 2019. We was like, uh. Then you started you started seeing Alex Anthopoulos putting all the pieces together. Um, that's back when Mike Fulton, I mean, Mike Fulton Neighbors was supposed to be the next the next ace for the Braves. Then here comes this Max Free dude. Here comes this Ian Anderson dude. Then I think what happened was the 2021 was a microcosm of 2020 show with the Braves. All right, shortened season. But we went toe-to-toe with the Dodgers. That gave them a lot of confidence going into 2021 saying, all right, dude, if we can go toe-to-toe with the Dodgers, I'm sorry. You could beat the Dodgers. You could beat anybody. You can beat the Yankees. You can beat the Red Sox. You can beat the Astros. You can beat the, you know, the Brewers. And I think what happened in 2022 was Alex Anthopoulos' worst nightmare happened. And Ronald Acuna Jr. goes down. Okay. So, and we was thinking, all right, we can, I remember the next day. We come in here. All right, man, it was going to be a good year, right? But then they kept winning. And you was like, it's no, no, no. As long as they stay the course. You said two things. Make sure you make sure you still in it, you know, pre, uh, you know, uh, pre uh, All-Star break. Got to make some trades post All Star break. Now, no, listen, let's let's call it. Nobody saw Peterson, no. Solaire, <laughs> no. and Rosario doing what they're doing, but they did do it. And I think the reason why they was to do it one, nobody wanted these guys. Like when you get traded deadline, people trying to dump these contracts. We don't want you anymore. Go over here, Solaire, Rosario, Jack Peterson. Listen, Jack Peterson said we are those, you know, two letter words, right? I believe we can do it. And all those guys showed up in the postings, but Kevin. I mean, it's something. I mean, if you are, uh, if you are Ron Lacuna, you saying, dude, I had to watch all this. That like nothing is more torture for a player than to watch it. I, listen, I want to win it, but I'm sorry, the ego in me wants to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it because you know, growing up, you win the World Series. They say, oh, you get the oh, let's see the season review. You want to sit there and watch? Oh, watch this game. Watch this hit. Now that's listen. That's Olair hit. Will live. I mean, boom. I'm here. That's. I just think that for me, I do think that they can handle it because they've shown us everything else. They they wasn't oh they got Strasburg. He can only play every three seasons. <laughs> you know, they, they don't got no nonsense like yeah, that. I know, yeah. They don't got a two hundred and was it three hundred million dollar guy in you know in Bryce Harper. They don't got the Grandma Scherzer, but no one no one does. But they still win it. So I think that for me, I I want to see it. I think that the new additions are going to be great. I think that the, I think that the you know young superstars like Austin Riley going to be great. And I think because Ronald Acuna Jr. don't have to rush back, that is a sign of a really, 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 really good team. But, Kevin, this this NL East, I mean, it's rough every year. It's going to be rough this year, no doubt about it. But I think the Braves going to get everybody best because they are the defending World Series champion. Yeah, again, that's to me, baseball is a long season. Sometimes you're not going to have a great series, right? But you will get everybody's great series. 
right? It's one thing to say, hey, the Phillies went down to South Florida and they didn't play well against the Marlins. Ah, well, you know, we had a rough go against the Pirates. It's a long season. It'll even out. When they roll up and say, we got the Braves the next three nights, you're going to get a good crack from somebody, right? I mean, there's there's just no question. It's the same thing the Braves do. Hey, we got the Dodgers coming up in the next series this regular season. You're going to give the Dodgers a good go of it. When you come across the Mets, when you come across, as you said, the Cardinals and Brewers, you're going to you're going to play up yeah. for those. And you're going to get that from everybody you face, as you said, because you're defending uh, World Series champions. People are going to love to put that notch on their belt and say, look, we got the defending World Champions. We think we can compete uh, potentially uh, down the road. So I, I think that is what you're going to see every single night where – You'll want to have those down series. You want to have those nights where it's like, hey, we just did not play well, but you're going to get a good crack from everybody because for them, you're defending world champs up on the schedule. They're going to make sure they play well against you. And I, again, that's how you see it. I do think it's interesting how it all played out is that you lose Freddie Freeman, which I think hurts a little bit, but then you get a guy like Matt Olson who says, listen, not only did I come home, I'm stepping into a, a situation where They've won the division the last four years. Mm-hmm. They won the World Series. They've been to the NLCS. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to do a lot of that in Oakland. I want to experience some of that, right? And they're counting on me to hold up my end, so we can do that. Now, does he have to? Does his end account for as big an end as it would if he was still playing in Oakland for them? To win? No. His end is just go out there and do what you do. It's not like, hey, we can win if you do this, because that's the reason. No, they brought him here to be a good player, but his. His holding up his end of the deal isn't as big a piece as it would be on some other ball clubs because you've got guys around. So I think guys like that who come in, I think Eddie Rosario is obviously happy to come in late and then he gets to stay in a championship uh, culture. I, I think, as you said, two guys for various reasons, uh, Ronald Acuna, Marcelo Zuna, who missed out on it uh, for Marcelo Zuna the, the entirety of the year and for Ronald Acuna for – uh, you know, about half the year when he when he when he got hurt, wants to be a part of that. Wants to experience that as a player on the field. I think there's some good things still working with this ball club in that regard. Yeah, Kevin, I think you said. That. I mean, with a guy like Matt Olson coming in saying, "Look, I'm one of the guys. I don't have to be the guy." That that says a lot because number one, he goes, "Look, I want to know can I be a key component on this Braves team?" Like I like if, if I'm watching from afar, I'm saying, "Dude, this dude's got great chemistry." Dude, but oh, that go free, though. That go Ian Anderson. That go to Austin Riley. That, that, you know, that go Ozzy Albers. That go Dancer Swanson, and so on and so forth. And I think, too, when, obviously, they go, go Ron Lacuna Jr. Like, oh, my God, this kid is a freak. You want to be able to say, hey, man, what did you do with your time with the Braves? Because, Kevin, it's kind of what we talked about with Matty Ice. We might have just seen the glory years of the, of the, of the Falcons. Who knows how long it'll take to get back to that? No. And, listen, we've seen the glory years of the Braves. Could we be watching the second coming of the of the, the second the second uh, uh coming of the glory years with these guys now? Because last four years it's hard to win the division, man. I don't care what nobody says, but the Braves are good because, dude, everybody in their division, everybody might not be good, but everybody's difficult to win against. Even the freaking Marlins, they're difficult to win against. The Mets, hey man, they gonna do it with pitching. The freaking Phillies, they gonna try to do it with that lineup. Obviously the Nats, so the Nats. I just think that for the Braves now is, do you do not take do you do? I mean, I'm not saying they're gonna do this. Don't take your foot off the gas pedal because now if you're Alex Anthopoulos, people are saying, "Hey, dude, can you do it again?" Because that's your barometer is in your own ball club. Well, so not, far, he's doing a darn good he, job. He, he really, of, really, really, I mean, and I will saying. say this: a guy that's not talked about enough, we can't just act like Snit just do. No, Snit is getting this done. Like he really, really is. 
Most of the time, when you got a person who's been with an organization that long, you want to go young. You want to go energetic. You want to go a veteran from another team. No, Snick getting it done. Now, Snick ain't going to give you a lot of he ain't gonna give you a lot of sound bites after the game. He ain't got a lot of energy during the game. But Kevin, I mean, sometimes, like you said, just don't wreck this thing. Don't trust Alex Anthopoulos. I'm not gonna bother him. Trust that farm system. Not gonna bother him. Four years in, man, look pretty good to me. Absolutely, doing a fantastic job. We got more to come. We got basketball around the corner. Whatever's left of your bracket, you might as well just crumble it up, throw it to the side, and just enjoy it because there's going to be some awesome uh, matchups as we head into the weekend, as we get down to the Final Four and uh, have that settled by Sunday night. And uh, the Elite Eight round going to be a lot of fun as well. Duke, Arkansas should be a lot of fun. we got more to come. Three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Oh, we got a couple more games to go here tonight. Starting at 6 o'clock, we'll have pregame coverage. Ben, I know everybody's bracket took a hit. Last night with Gonzaga and Arizona going home. Uh, last night, some tremendous ball games. Last night, tonight, you got the Peacocks of St. Peter's against Purdue. I feel like their run may come to an end uh, here uh, tonight. The but but uh, Providence and Kansas tonight. Kansas, the last number one seed left, and we're still in the Sweet 16 round. If they get bounced, that's it. No number ones will even make it to the Elite Eight. The game of the night, North Carolina and UCLA, that's going to be a whole lot of fun, Ben. And Iowa State, Miami, the late game uh, this evening. And then we'll have the Elite Eight officially set. But uh, tremendous games last night. Uh, and again, the four games tonight should be uh, a whole lot of fun with that UNC-UCLA game. I know a lot of folks would love to see Carolina and Duke in the Final Four if that was the way it went out. But uh, Duke-Arkansas on Saturday going to be a lot of fun as well. Yeah, it is. And, 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 I, and I think what happens is, too, Kevin, when we start talking about like the, the brackets getting like busted the way they do is because basketball is unpredictable. Basketball has nothing to do with your tradition. Basketball has nothing to do with your who's going to be a lottery pick. It's if you Arkansas, hey, man, we back in the Bay. You know, uh, I mean, if you coach Muslim, and we say we finna get out here and we finna play big boy basketball. What we lack athletically, we make up with size. We make up with just playing, you know, uh, bully basketball. You talk about you talk about blue bloods. Woo, it don't get much bluer than UCLA and freaking UNC. I mean, you talk about UCLA. I mean, people, you talk about there was dynasties and there was UCLA. They started that stuff. I, I, they got too many uh, championships to name. But then when you talk about a team like UNC, always going to be the Thorn and Duke side. But, hey, man, a great tradition. You got, you got the upstars of the St. Pete, Pete, Peter's uh, Peacocks. Do you think they give Purdue a good game tonight? I, I think they do. I think, I think they still lose, Kevin. But what do they have to lose? I don't know what I think anymore because, I, I, man, well, I, my, well, my bracket's well, going no, to garbage. Like this. So it's like, almost like this. Somebody says, hey, man, what are you thinking? I'm thinking, I'm thinking Purdue. Go with St. Peter's. Because, you know, I think what happens in these situations is we don't we, – we forget. Rankings don't matter at this point. You're here. You're one, you're one of the last teams standing at this point. You know, so, Kevin, for me, St. Peter's is the most dangerous team. But when someone's talking about Duke, when someone's talking about UNC, them boys out, them boys out of uh, Coral Gables. Oh, Miami is still in this thing too. So, they trying to be able to get back – uh, you know, to an Elite Eight, to a Final Four. But I, I think it's going to be great games tonight. Um, I just think that as much as we think we know, you wake up in the morning, Kevin, because that 9 o'clock hour hit me and I, I start seeing <laughs> double and triple. I, I, I just think that I look for quality basketball, and I, I, I think that's what we're going to get tonight. Listen, St. Peter's has shown you that's what Kentucky thought, right? Put them St. St. Peter's is literally the reason why all brackets was done. Like when it, Kentucky goes, I'm going to say this. There are upsets in the first round. Now you start getting close. You start realizing guys understand how to play 
We'll see what happens, but I would want nothing more than to see UNC put Duke out in the next round. But that's not, it has to be the final four. Yes. So not the elite. So again, we won't see that this weekend, but yeah, if you're going to wait for it, Coach K gets another one. You'll get a week leading up to the final four, and they would get uh, UNC if it gets to uh, to that point. But you're right, St. Peter's, again, I think you get to this round for a a team like St. Peter's. you got to meet that talent threshold, uh, if you will. Uh, and I think they have talent. Do they meet the Purdue talent threshold? Do they meet the uh, the Arkansas, the the Dukes? Because now, I, here's where I think the difference happens in a tournament like this, Ben, is you get to this point and teams start sitting there, like we asked uh, earlier to Jacob Davis. Well, Arkansas is in the Elite Eight. Why can't they win this thing? Like mm-hmm. You get to the Sweet 16, and now these teams that are really good, maybe they had a scare in the first round, maybe they had a scare in the second round. Now they're thinking, wait a minute. We win two more games. We are in the championship. We beat two people. Elite Eight, Final Four, we're there. We can do this. And I think this is where uh, they've also had a week off. This is where I think Purdue gives St. Peter's probably a real effort that they're going to have a hard time overcoming. In that first round, okay, we got St. Peter's, maybe take them lightly, and then you got to turn around and play them again. Uh, the next team's got to play St. Peter's in two days, going, who is, wait, what? And you don't get a good, now Purdue's had a week of looking at tape. Purdue's had a week to game plan. Purdue's had a week to say, wait a minute, we beat them, we're in the Elite Eight. We beat a team we're heavily favored against. In the, if we're in the Elite Eight, we can win this thing. Mm-hmm. We got basketball coming up here in just a minute. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. 